for greetings and welcome to the show, everyone. Obviously, <laughs> somebody didn't do their research. <laughs> so, for those of you that didn't understand Neil Arthotopian like I just did, this is the Bay of Blood Lovecraft Spectacular. I am your host, Donnie Rings, the Lord over Arkham, and I am joined by the shadow over in's mouth, Will. Sup, my beautiful gangsters. And... Oh, crap, I'm out of Lovecraft references already. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck it. Um, Glenn. Yep. Hello. <laughs> All right. And we have a trio, a double bill of special guests with us tonight. We have Mr. Venom. Greetings and salutations, Lovecraftian horror enthusiasts. And Rob. What's up? To... Two dude that really, really, really fucking love Lovecraft, I gotta say. They know their shit, so I'm glad we have them tonight. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Obviously, obviously, because I loved, ran out of references at three. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Alright, so let's uh, dive into the uh, big. Opening news, shall we? And now, some tragic local news. We have a report of another murder tonight. 
a young girl has been found dead in Rogers Park. The body was badly mutilated. Because of these murders, police request that all women stay inside their homes after dark. If you must go out, please have someone accompany you. Keep your door locked. We'll repeat that. Police request that all women stay inside their homes after dark. If you must go out, So here's the news, the whole, like, three pieces of news. Uh, first up, uh, Netflix are doing a series called Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. I don't know if it'll be any good. It might be. We can hope. I'm going to watch it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll probably watch it as well. I mean, uh, it could be quite interesting. If you know me, you know I'm, I'm into everything like true crime so of course i'm gonna be giving giving it a shot like no brainer also um next bit of news uh terrifier 2 is not coming out this halloween um due to covid delays is what it is um the year that keeps on taking (laughs) 2020 for sure and also, apparently, the new craft, the the craft legacy, is actually uh, a sequel. Where it was supposed to be a reboot, it's now officially been confirmed. It's a sequel to the original craft. And cool. like I told you, it's fucking you know female propaganda already. I can tell. I'm, I'm sure of it. It's 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 very possible. I mean, I don't know. I'll I'll wait for it to hear people talk about it. I mean, hopefully, I was a big fan of the original. Like like I told you earlier, Will, fourteen times I saw it in the theater. <laughs> fourteen times in the theater. Fourteen <laughs> times. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. You know. Hope hopefully you know it's it's good. Hopefully uh, you know they set aside the overly agenda esque. Yeah, yeah. just kind of leave that to the side. And last bit of news. Um, this is for... Amazon.ca? Yeah, this is for all us listeners up here in Canada. Amazon.ca are kind of dropping the ball recently. Like crazy. Yeah. Um, both me and Will, we pre-ordered the, the Friday the 13th box set that comes out on uh, the 13th, right? But uh, we're not getting it till about like the twenty eighth or twenty seventh or something like that. Don't know why. Crazy, dude. I mean, and I mean, prime example of 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 fucking. You know, I won't say like bad customer service, but you know how it's ran during those weird times. I guess. Yeah, it's like the the pressure is really showing. And uh, yeah, dude, and even like, but it's not a surprise though, because you know that Batman motherfucking comics, dude, that I I ordered. Oh uh, yeah, the Batman who laughed. Can you tell a brief story about it? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, 
Will ordered the Batman Who Laughs, the hardback book. He ordered that along with uh, my friend Dahmer. And they both shipped out on the same day. He's got my friend Dahmer. He doesn't have uh, the Batman Who Laughs. The Batman Who Laughs. Which, you know, nice. it's a Batman title. You'd think that would be easy to ship. There wouldn't be any problem. Nope, nope, nope. Never came. So we contact Amazon. They say, okay, you know, uh, we're sending you another one. It'll be there by 12 o'clock the next day. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. No shipping confirmation. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, they're, they're dropping the ball something fierce recently, and... Um, I don't know, maybe they're overworked or something with the whole COVID thing. I don't know, but, um, you know, you're the world's biggest company. Uh, get your act together. Get your shit together, yeah. Yeah. And that is it for the news. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, move on to brighter pastures and uh, this. Dive into a quadruple helping of HP Lovecraft adaptations. Oh, yeah. So, we are going to start out first with 1986's From Beyond. Every journey begins in the mind. A flight of imagination. A vision of what might lie across the universe. Or within the deepest regions of the subconscious. Dr. Edward Pretorius is about to embark on such a journey. control. You've got to turn it off. of Reanimator from beyond. <laughs> let, let me go ahead first, dude. It's a perfect film. In my book, it's a perfect film. I love it. I, I love every fucking second of this movie. I really do. I think it's better than fucking Reanimator. So, love it or not. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of this movie. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I love it, and any reason to see Barbara Crampton in fetish gear is always uh, a plus. So, um, you know, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, it's one of those movies that I remember I saw it back when it was on VHS, and I remember not really liking it on VHS, and I don't know. Oh, whether, really? Yeah, I don't know what it was, but I, I picked up the the DVD originally when um, when the director's cut first came out, and I, I I I can't tell you what was different, but I know I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more watching the director's cut than I did watching the theatrical. Never saw the theatrical cut, so I can really say. Yeah, it's like I said, I can't really re remember what was different, but 
I just uh, know there was I, multiple things. Uh, the let's see, in the theatrical, you don't see the eyeball get sucked out. Um, uh, let's see. Um, what else? Uh, there, it's only like four or five differences. It's not really major ones, but they all have to do with deaths being extended. So basically, okay, in the theatrical like gore cut, footage. Yeah, basically, it's just gore footage. They didn't maybe, actually cut out any whole scenes. They just kind of yeah. tamed them a little bit. Maybe that's it. Maybe when I first saw it, I I was thinking it was too tame. Yeah. I mean, it could be. All I know is, I, after watching it on DVD, I literally immediately went out and bought the Blu-ray the next day. Um, never looked back. I love it. It's a great film. <laughs> Love it too. I mean, no, no gripes, no. What's a, no, no negative. Absolutely none mm. on my part. All right, Rob. Um, well, I mean, we were just talking about the special effects. You know, I'm more into the actual literature of Lovecraft than I am the films. But I've been, you know, sort of coming along and accepting some of the films more than I do others. I always thought that beyond, or from beyond, from beyond, its strength was in its special effects, and I was, uh, you know, I was really shocked when I was doing a little digging into it that uh, I didn't realize just how many names were attached to the special effects uh, crew. You know, uh, Beekler, Kurtzman, Nicotero, Mark Shostrom. I mean, these are all guys that I grew up with in, as a kid in the '80s, reading about in Fangoria or whatever, and. Uh, I think definitely its strength is in its um, it's a it's a real neat special effects show, one uh, that definitely does stand apart from the original story. There's not a lot in the original story. It's only like 17 paragraphs or something. It's very yeah. straightforward. Uh, you know the, the character is a little bit different. Tillingas is actually the main uh, villain, the narrator who kind of gets called up with it. Um, is there telling us what's happening and everything, but it's really straightforward where they took something really small, straightforward and for the beyond or from beyond, they really created a much larger story. It expanded on it. Yes. uh, In big ways. And uh, so I think, you know, my attitude towards from beyond these days is uh, especially right now is probably a lot uh, nicer than it was when I was falling in love with Lovecraft and just reading Lovecraft. And then I would, I would always get uh, pained by a lot of the movies that I would watch. But then I had to realize, you know, these are clearly adaptions from source material and they're never going to be perfect, but some are much better than others, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just the right amount of, wait, wait, let's get Venom. Wait, let's get Venom. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, um, I mean, I, I'm right there, I'm right there with everybody. Uh, th- this movie is a damn fine movie. I've always felt that the movie kind of lives or dies by its special effects. Um, I unfortunately read this story after I had seen the movie. Um, so one of the biggest gripes I always had with the movie before reading the story was that I thought the story was a little thin. I thought there really wasn't a lot of character development. We know nothing about Pretorius before he's dispatched. You know, we we learn very little about the other characters in the film. But ultimately, it's not really necessarily about the characters. This isn't character-driven by any stretch. This isn't Reanimator, where which is a much more character-driven um, story than this one. 
Um, but I still, I'm, I'm going to say I think I put Reanimator on a slightly higher pedestal than I do From Beyond. It's I love From Beyond, absolutely love it. And it's um, I've actually known Barbara Crampton for the last almost 20 years. We live, we actually live in the same neighborhood out here in California, and it's really what the fuck, really, dude? Yeah, it's funny because I, I, I. When I see her now, you know, obviously she's older. I think of her as that cool grandma because she she's not naked up. too. Exactly. Of so it's so <laughs> when I go back and I watch Chopping Mall and From Beyond and all the movies that she's been naked in, it's always slightly weird because it's like I know this sixty-five-year-old <laughs> woman and I know she's twenty-four here, but damn it, I know her now and it's so hard to look at her. But she's an absolute <laughs> sweetheart. She embraces horror, the community. She she does autograph sessions out here, obviously, before the pandemic. Uh, she would do them constantly, multiple times a year, pretty much any time she put out a new movie. Um, you know, she's always open for events and interviews and things like that. Apparently, um, she's one of the nicest horror people you could ever met absolutely. at conventions. And Yep. She is a sweetheart. I mean, I, one of the one of the autograph sessions that I went to that she was at was for the release of uh, Beyond the Gates. Uh, came oh, out man. like maybe four or five years ago, and the director and one of the other stars uh, were late for the session, and they had this long line, you know, going outside the place where the event was happening. And she was already there, and she felt bad, so she actually went out, bought a case of champagne, and got everybody in line drunk. I, oh, I, <laughs> that's so cool, dude. That so yeah, is... when you hear stories that she's one of the coolest people in horror, believe all of it. She really is. Nice. Anyway, back to From Beyond. Um I, again, I can't say enough great things about it. The effects are stellar. I am going to say that some of the green screen effects maybe don't um, hold up as well 30 years later, but that's to be expected. So it's not a knock on the movie by any stretch. It's just maybe some newer viewers, and somebody watching the movie for the first time in 2020 might think the uh, floating eels maybe look a little silly, whatever. But obviously, we saw this in the 90s, well, 80s for some of us, 90s for a lot of us. So we appreciate what was put into this movie. And ultimately, this is a low-budget movie that succeeds on almost every level. So, yeah, can't say enough good things about it. Jeffrey Kong, too. I mean, again, oh, yeah. dude. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, ooh, okay, I'm going to make some enemies here. I, I don't like Jeffrey Combs' casting in this movie. I think what, he's really? absolutely brilliant as Herbert West. I think Herbert West is like his pinnacle of film anyway, because I know he's done a lot of cool television stuff as well. In this movie, I think I would have rather seen someone who didn't just come off of doing Reanimator. It's like, I mean, it was yeah, literally it's, the it's film. Herbert, he is playing Herbert West again. Exactly, and that's what I didn't. I want agree to, with you. I, I, would I like agree to have with seen, um, I, I guess actually, from what I'm understanding, Bruce Campbell was actually up for that role for a little yeah, while. Yeah, he was. And I, I when I the, the more I think of that, as long as he's not Ash Williams, I think he could have pulled off this role. And I would be very curious. Obviously, we're never going to see it, but it, it's one of those dream things that I would have loved to have seen Campbell in this role. Not to say that Combs does a bad job. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that he's, you know, it, um, terrible for this role. Not at all. I just feel like a stronger personality would have been a little bit better for this role. But, I mean, this movie was made, what, like, a part, uh, like, 
Reanimator was what was Reanimator was eighty eighty five eighty five. Yeah, the year from yeah. from beyond was eighty eighty six eighty six. Yeah, so yeah. two years apart. One year, well. Yeah, one year. One year. Anyway, I, I wonder whether uh, it would have been better if Jeffrey Combs had been cast as Pretorius. Ooh, see that I might that, that yeah. Uh, I would Thorius be has to have a certain age though. Like the guy yeah. who played for Thorius looks creepy before he even you know died that's the first very, time. I mean, he's just a creepy true. ass personality. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was watching that uh, interview with Jeffrey Combs. That's on my uh, From Beyond Blue, mm. and he actually yeah yeah well you remember, he actually thinks uh, Bruce Abbott should have had that particular yeah. part, which I thought was uh, interesting. I, I could live with that, too. I would have loved to have yeah. seen that. So, my initial thoughts. Uh, and Debbie Downer, I was com- kind of underwhelmed by it. I thought it was rather mediocre. Okay. Oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah. Yeah, first time watch, and... and I, I shouldn't say first time watch. I should say first time uncensored. Because I saw this years ago for an AMC Fear Fest, so it was cut to hell. Mm. So yeah, um, this was the first time I'd seen it in, in any way resembling a full unrated cut, and I was really underwhelmed. Um, I think the pacing is really off. Uh, they don't really do much of anything in the first hour, or not first hour, like the first like half hour. It's just, you know, determining his craziness and just moving into the house. I, I don't really find any of that interesting. I, I do like the fact that it does build up his, you know, the case as to why they go back, but I don't find it interesting to see it play out. And then, for me, as soon as they get captured and they get sent to the hospital, the final half, ugh, I, I don't find anything in there interesting. So, uh, for me, it... It's just the entire time that they're in the house recreating the experiment and letting all the goopy creatures loose. It's such a good payoff, though. I don't get it. Are, yeah, but uh, the payoff is, but the payoff, is, the payoff is over an hour into it. No, nah, the payoff nah, is over nah, an hour. No, nah, I don't it. agree. I don't. None of the hospital stuff is completely uninteresting. I have absolutely no interest in anything that happens at the hospital when they're captured. When it's her being. Yeah. And it's her being interrogated, and she's being, you know, tormented by the orderlies, and he has to escape and kills everybody there. I am completely uninterested in any of it. None of it, none of it is anything interesting at all. I don't agree. I, I thought the brain eating scene was great. I, I think there's a lot of context in that scene that you can see uh, between how our character acts when he's caught, when he starts to be apologetic about it. But then once the pineal gland kind of takes over his more animalistic tendencies, he just goes right after that nurse. I don't know. I, I, I particularly He kind of like snaps, dude, and it's played yeah, exactly. out well. One of, one of uh, Jeffrey Combs' better scenes in this film, anyway. I agree with you, uh, Venom. Uh, Don, uh, just out of curiosity, are you a fan of Lovecraftian horror in general? It's tough to watch. I mean, I don't purposely go out of my way for it. Um, okay. I mean, I think highly of the films I've seen that are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, The Thing is maybe top five. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you, uh, to me, I've always said um, In the Mouth of Madness is maybe uh, Carpenter's fifth or sixth best film he's ever made. 
not in not horror films. I didn't say horror. I said fifth or sixth all time. So I'm yeah, including yeah. his other. So I'm including his other stuff. I absolutely love that movie. And um, Void, I think, has a few structural issues, but I'm not holding it back somewhat. Um, I'd probably give it maybe. Well, I rated it in the top fifteen of the year when it came out. So. Yeah, it was my number one actually. <laughs> yeah. I remember, but I'm a Lovecraft guy. Yeah, Something no yeah. nobody actually bring out. Uh, well, I'm gonna let uh, Rob uh, speak before I get to. Maybe he will bring this point out, but Rob, well, go I ahead. Was, I was just kind of thinking as you guys are going along. Um, one of the, I think one of the, the, definitely the strength is the special effects, but what gets lost a little bit in the film, I think, is the ap- apocalyptic feel even as short as that short story is and it is really inferior to the much larger works that lovecraft will do uh and we'll even see you know in the latter films that we'll talk about but that apocalyptic feel or even at, at the the folk the the middle of that story really deals with this issue of the problem of knowledge and the problem that we only work with five senses and what would it be like how much more would we know, say, if we had 20 senses instead of the traditional five or even a thousand or whatnot? How would we, how would we interpret this as Lovecraft, like, you know, sort of like to think this thin layer of what we call reality is not, it's only covering up the true reality, but we can't see that reality because we're limited by the number of senses we have. And so, you know, in the story, the resonator it becomes the breakdown of the barrier of those senses and it allows us to see the true nature, the horror of what really does lie and how insignificant we really are. And I think some of that, even it, even though it's captured, you know, somewhat well in that very short story, it gets lost, I think, a little bit in the avalanche of all the special effects in the film. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm becoming a much larger fan of Stuart Gordon and I think uh, I think some of his movies personally are, are better interpretations of H.P. Lovecraft's work like I think Dagon is probably one of my favorites of his um, just how he handles Smith and Dagon together as yeah. a film adaption um, but you know at the, at the core there is this sort of cosmic fear and dread of what if what if we truly realize for the first time of what really was there around us and even though it's displayed for us I think it's one of the reasons too Lovecraft really wasn't a big fan of, of film although he had some of his favorites um, he uh, did not like you know Frankenstein or uh, or Dracula but he was he was a fan of uh, the Invisible Man um, he loved Berkeley Square and I mean there's a few films uh, Phantom of the Opera that he really did but he was really really fearful that any of his stuff would actually be translated off the written page to the screen. And so it really depends on who, I mean, who we're looking at and who's interpreting, who's putting it on the screen. And I'll be honest, initially, when I was starting to, you know, venture into Lovecraftian films, or the, you know, those films that displayed his name on the top, I was, uh, I was appalled more than I was not appalled just because I love the literature, the, the written story so much. But I've, um, Stuart Gordon's really grown on me of late, and I'm, I'm really starting to appreciate how he was seeing 
and being able to take it and then put it on a page in a, in a way that he felt he needed to. But I do think some things do get lost in this film in particular. But it is it is an extremely fun, fun movie uh, to watch, I think. So, I don't know, just a few random thoughts. I'm just curious, though. Uh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead uh, no, go ahead, though. Well, I was going to say, you, you hit on something there that I think it kind of explains a little bit about why, is that there's very little about this, from what little I do know of Lovecraftian horror, because I've only really read maybe two or three of his stories and only once, so I'm not like a huge fan or anything. But there's existential dread and like cosmic... Um, I'm trying to think of the proper word here, but I guess um, cosmic ignorance of humanity is sort of like the main overlying theme that he runs with here. And there's really none of that in this. It's just, you know, two pe- it's just like a, you know, new... No, I think there is, dude. I think there is. I Where? mean, Pretorius, ultimately, he wants to open up all of humans, uh, humanity's minds. He wants to unlock the pineal gland for all humanity. That's why he wants to get but the machine... Do you say that, or do they infer it and nobody ever corrects him? Because I never remember him actually saying anything more than succulent flesh or... Well, right, well, right. He, he never is a selfish it, character. But it's kind of yeah, but I'm just so. saying is that it's I'm, obvious what I'm, his goal is. But is it just because they're inferring it and nobody's correcting them, or because it's just the, it's the central three for ninety percent of the film? I'm just saying is that is it is that actually his end game, or is that just an inference that nobody more with more knowledge of the subject is there to correct him on? No, I see it kind of like a quest for you know power or even immortality, as you can see in but, oh, the resurrected okay, but further see, down the line. But, but see that, but see that hits on what Venom said earlier about no characterization. If we would have known that from the very beginning about how about what happened with Pretorius in the original experiment, because we don't actually see the result of that, we just see the aftermath. But do we need to see it? I don't think so. Because, but then that gives his journey more credence because you understand where he's trying to go you understand we still understand you don't no, need we to don't. see it okay so the the only thing that we actually get is his you know insistence on re, on starting that recalcifier or recalibrator or whatever the hell that thing's called resonator resonator yeah mm-hmm. yeah you, you only see that after when they return back to the house and she you know she's already sprayed all the foam and fire extinguisher on it at the first instance and when she goes back you see all the wires snap into place and the things start up again like that's the only real instance you get that he's actually trying to do anything but that could be be you know opening a portal to this dimension to let the creatures out once and for all it could it could be for just about anything but we don't know that because we don't know who he is well, we, don't, creatures... we just get a thing I'm just saying we only get an idea of that he's you know a guy I, I don't can't... agree dude I don't agree I think He's not necessarily trying to let creatures out. Don't forget, his theory is that the creatures are always there. We just can't see them. He knows that if he grants humanity that sight so that they can see those creatures, they're all dead. Which, in in you know, indirectly does give him power. Exactly. Um, 
You know, it, it, I, I agree, Don, that there's not a lot of characterization here. And Pretorius himself is a weird character because he's not necessarily, at least before he dies the first time, he's, he's not, necessarily... not a sane dude. Exactly. Well, he's not sane, but he's also very selfish. Don't forget. It's it's you know it's inferred later in the film that he was impotent that he can't get off unless he's torturing women. So the pursuit of a of additional sight wasn't necessarily something he was doing for mankind. It was for himself. He lost his ability to find sexual pleasure. He was looking for another form of pleasure. It's all universe. about himself, dude. It's all selfishness throughout it. It's all about selfishness. I think early on, yes, 100% selfishness. But once he's killed the first time and once he experiences what else is out there, then I don't think it's so much selfishness so much as just plain insanity. He wants to grant humanity that sight. Yeah, it's still the same goal. He wants this, the, 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 the immortality too. Well, that's the thing. I think it changes after his death. Like I said, I think everything is 100% selfish early on. Once he realizes that, oh shit, I was right, you know, that we're surrounded by an entire universe that no one can see, then it became more the, the power struggle and, you know, wanting to torture humanity, blah, 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 blah. I think it's still selfish, though, uh, in... Um... Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Because I mean, as long as long as he as he gets what he wants, I think it's oh, so some people will have it too. No problem. What I want is to be, you know, immortal. To to, you know what I I mean? Right, right. Sure, sure. Well, he wants to be seen too. I mean, it, without the resonator, he can't be seen either. So. You know, he he wants to make sure that he is a presence in this new world that he's building. And the only way to do that is to, you know, juice up the resonator, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we can talk about Pretorius's um, motivations for a while. <laughs> for, uh, oh, yeah, I agree. had a lot of them. <laughs> but, um, uh, Rob, Rob. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even, I don't, I don't even think we asked you like decently what did you think of this movie so uh i mean i pre i mean like i said i appreciate i i appreciate aspects of it to a certain degree i i, I think uh, i i'm pretty more amazed at what they were able you know the story they were able to wrap around such you know not a lot is given in the short story. And so for what they were able to do to build up around it um, to a pretty nifty degree, I think. And like I said, I think it really does stand on the special effects. And that was, uh, of course, the trademark of the 80s was the, the growing nature of practical effects. And so I think I really appreciate you know that aspect. I think some of the cosmic dread does get lost a little bit. I don't feel it as much in this movie, say... Uh, you know, in a lot of movies, actually, I think there's way more cosmic dread in the thing yes. than in this film, uh, or yeah. even The Mist. I was thinking about The Mist, and you know that, oh, wait, that oh, yeah. yeah, that film is not you know a whole lot different in the sense that there's been a rip in it in another dimension that has allowed entrance into our reality of these other things that were true in their own reality, but. That film has such a, a cosmic dread about it, and and you know King, King Stephen King was uh, 
was influenced by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft um, in a lot of ways. I mean, not just that story, but I mean, he's a huge fan of Lovecraft. I mean, but I mean, so I mean, I think I I appreciate certain aspects of this story on film to a degree, um, and I try my I try my best to not anchor it too deeply into the short story. Hey Rob, uh, if I can ask you one question, if you um, let's say like let's rewind maybe like twenty years ago or some shit when you didn't know shit about Lovecraft, and you know, I'm saying like just you know take this movie, rent it, rent uh, from beyond, put it in, in your VCR. And just watch it for what it is. You don't know shit about H.P. Lovecraft. Do you think your opinion would be different? Oh, I'm sure it would be different without the source material. I mean, you know, you got a special effects beast of a movie that, uh, like I said, I grew up in the 80s watching a lot of these guys. I mean, you know, Kurtzman and Nicotero. And, I mean, there's so many guys in this film working out their, uh, their geniuses. Uh, I... You know, apart from the short story, I probably get a whole lot more enjoyment out of it for those aspects. But rooted in the story, uh, it's it's more balanced, I think. I try to see different things. Well, for me, I mean, um, are we down to ratings? If y'all are good to go with ratings, for me, I'm going to say my ratings like, right away, dude. I mean, for me, overall... It's uh, an 8.5 out of 10. I think it's superb. I really, really love this movie. Rewatchability, it's a 10. I would watch this movie every fucking day of the year. I love this movie so much. And is it a buy or rent? Of course it's a fucking buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for me, I, I'm kind of pretty much similar um i give it a nine uh definite rewatchability so 10 for rewatchability and a buy uh i'd probably go six and a half maybe seven god damn that's slow (laughs) hey that's good don didn't say many positive things about it that's good for him no i said everything I, I, everything with them and the recreating the experiments and all of that, that was fun. All the special effects stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying is that, you know, you just harped on all my negatives, but no, I, I do like all of the the recreations and all of the experiments that they do and all the giant creatures that they come into contact with. It's all, you know, fun, goopy, 80 special effects, you know, practical effects. Well, what's not to like about that? You know, they're, I mean, it's not as the it's not a, up to the caliber of Reanimator or anything like that, but no, it's better. No, I think Reanimator's far better. But I, I mean, I haven't seen Reanimator in fifteen, twenty years, so I haven't but, seen Reanimator in like an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, but um, uh, rewatchability, I'll say maybe seven and a half. I'll go eight if you're a practical effects guy. If you're a story guy, I'll say me, if, if you're somebody that prefers story to special effects, it's probably a seven. If you're a person that prefers special effects to story, 
I'll go eight just because that's like the fun part of the film. Can you give me? Can you give me twenty seconds? I'm having like an aneurysm, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll still say it's still good enough to own. So it, you know, it's still you know, it's still a worthwhile and ownable film. It's just I felt it was kind of underwhelming. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know. A six and a half to a seven, you know, seven to an eight rewatchability, depending on what, you, you know, where you are and what you prefer. And it's still a worthwhile and worthwhile film to own. So. Nice. All right. I guess so. I'll jump in here. Um, I'm going to give the movie a nine out of ten. It's like I said, it's every 80s practical effects lover's dream. You've got great slimy Lovecraftian creatures. Uh, Rick and Morty lovingly call them Cronenbergs. And yeah, every time I watch a Lovecraft movie now, it's always Cronenbergs. Fucking movie filled with Cronenbergs. <laughs> This movie is not so much filled with Cronenbergs, but, uh, you know, we get a couple of great ones. Um, definitely light on story, as Don has already said, though they do expand on the uh, short story a little bit. Uh, I, I personally would have liked to have seen a little bit more character development. I also would have liked to have seen a little bit more of Pretorius actually building the machine. Obviously, you know, nobody wants to sit through a two, two and a half hour horror movie. So I understand, you know, you got to make cuts, you know, where they're needed. But I, I, I'm a story guy. I'm the kind of guy that wants to see as much backstory as I possibly can, as much motivation, you know, what's driving these characters to do what they do, blah, 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 blah. So ultimately, though, like I said, it's still an absolute 80s gem. So it's a nine out of 10 for the film. It is an absolute 10 out of 10 for rewatchability. I never go more than a year without watching this film. Uh, I, I just I couldn't possibly. I obviously have the uh, Scream Factory uh, Blu-ray, and I would recommend all others to also pick up that Blu-ray as it's got some great interviews on there. Maybe not as much in the way of commentary tracks and other behind-the-scenes special features, but you know you get you get what you're gonna get. So. I say it's worth it. It's not that much money either. It's under $20 on Amazon. So, yeah, uh, absolute must-own. Get out there and buy it. It's a buy. <laughs> All right, Rob? Well, before I give my rating, it's funny. I had this on the other night, and my wife got home late from work, and, of course, she walked in right in the midst of it. And the first <laughs> thing she says, she's looking at the TV for a moment, and the first thing she says is, hey, wait a minute, isn't that the guy from Dawn of the Dead? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, looked yeah. up at her with a grin. I'm like, well, yes, honey, it is. And she's like, aren't you impressed with me? So <laughs> we didn't even mention Ken Forey in this movie. And, uh, you know, I mean, did anyone, you know. There's, there, there's, there's someone we didn't mention, too. I'm going to I'm gonna wait for you all to do your, <laughs> your uh, you know, is it a buy or rant? Your rant, okay. well, ranking or criticism of the film, but. There's one name that never came out, and I'm so surprised. Go ahead, well, Rob. So anyways, uh, you know, and, and this will probably come up more and more uh, throughout the night. You know, I've, you know, really grown uh, in my uh, affection for, you know, for some movies more than others in terms of how they adapt Lovecraft. But this one's really sort of grown on me. I really, I'd probably go with an eight, 8.5 out of 10. In terms of overall rating, rewatchability, I give it a nine just because the special effects are so much fun to watch. 
Um, definitely, it's a buy. This is definitely worth having. What's funny is we didn't talk about Ken Foray, but we also didn't talk about the elephant in the room, and that's tight red speedos. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm trying to forget that. Did anybody else? Yeah, I was going to say, did anybody else feel uncomfortable every time they, when they were in the garage? Very. <laughs> I mean, good on him for doing it. I'm wondering if that was a uh, creative choice or if he just volunteered it. it. You never know. I mean, maybe he likes running around in Speedos. I, I think before, he probably volunteered it. Before we get to uh, your rating, Glenn, can I just say. I've already done my rating. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I went after you. Oh, okay. All right, so nobody mentioned fucking Richard Band's score. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I have the vinyl of it. I got the vinyl, too. <laughs> yeah, I got you, the you, vinyl, too. So fucking good. Yeah. You got the better vinyl, though. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about something... And it just it just sort of hit me just now, like what the problem with From Beyond is, and really it's it's there's a dual climax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have, you yeah, have that's the climax. Yeah, in in the house, and then you have the climax in the hospital, and it's like I don't know. They should have just picked one, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was going on. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know if that was just a, a matter of you know we need an extra like fifteen minutes here to get this up to like an hour and a half or whatever. But yeah, because it barely runs. It doesn't even run like an hour and twenty five minutes. It's like an hour and twenty four twenty. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not the not the longest one. But yeah, I wonder if she maybe said. yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if they'd ended it right at like after the the events of the house, you know, ended it with like um, ambulances and police arriving and stuff, and that would be where the movie ended. Whether that would have been a bit better of an ending, I don't know. Hmm. I'd have to see it honestly. Yeah, <laughs> which gotta be hard to like forget the ending that I've lived with for 34 years but very true yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright um, final call anybody have anything else to say love it it's good shit yep. I meant anything new but <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I did, I did ha- hey Don go ahead this I is did have more I have one thing. Uh, at the very, very end, she uh, when she falls out the window there and breaks her leg there on the ground, having just got it, she says something to the point that she ate them. I'm just wondering what that was all about. I don't know. I didn't watch a version with subtitles. After she and, and she's and, she, and and you think she's screaming at first, but she really it's it, she's laughing. She's sort of laughing hysterically. Yeah, I remember that, but I just I, I didn't watch a version with subtitles. I didn't pick anything else. Hmm. I don't yeah, know, I that just kind of struck me weird. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Great. So, uh, with that out of the way, let's move on to our next movie of the evening, 1991's The Resurrected. Then, from the author of Terror, H.P. Lovecraft. From the director of Return of the Living Dead. There's no evil in what I do, so long as I do it rightly. The Resurrected. I struck depths that your little brain cannot fathom. He lived centuries ago. Just as we expected, the dead take much blood. But for him, death was only the beginning. The cops found eight. Count them eight boxes of human remains. Turns out they've had a rash of tomb snatchings over in Europe. Now, this wizard from the past. Don't you understand what's going on down here, Lonnie? He beat death has teamed with a man from the present. He's talking about bringing people back from the dead. To create an evil that will last forever. As the hunger grows, my control will surely weaken. The best we can hope for it is to somehow diminish Charles's homicidal and cannibalistic impulses. The curse of the formerly dead is the hunger. And it will not be. Chris Sarandon of Fright Night and Child's Play. I've drawn down demons from the stars. There'll be no salvation for these. John Terry of In Country and Full Metal Jacket. Jane Sivet of television's The Famous Teddy Z. The destinies of all things living and dead. Alright, yes. so, uh, we did uh, Glenn first. Uh, well, let's go with you first. The resurrected. I mean, I wasn't expecting like much of I it. I called Glenn first, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, no, go ahead. Glenn. Sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead again. Okay, I'll go. Um, I love this movie. This this is I've I this is a movie that I've championed for years. I first saw this on um. I always remember I used I used to have a, an old Fango magazine. And there was just a little tiny article saying, like, oh, like, The Resurrected is coming out. And it just showed that scene, you know, of the, like, the, been, like, kind of, you know, meat tenderized. And he's just, he has, there's still the wig on him and everything, but he's just, like, a little pile of guts. Um, <laughs> it had a picture of that, and it always sort of caught my eye. And then I, I finally saw it on VHS, and I loved it. So much so, I went looking for a DVD, and for the longest time, there was no DVD of this movie at all. Remind me, I've got a funny story about that. Yeah. Remind me when it's my turn, I've got a funny story about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, And then eventually, you know, they came out with, like, a full-screen DVD and everything. It... I'm I'm not going to talk about that particular release. Eventually, I got a German Blu-ray. And um, it's from what I know, it's like the same transfer as the Scream Factory one and everything. And I, I just fell in love with it more, being able to actually see what's happening, like in the darkness and everything. This movie is just awesome. Any movie with Chris Sarandon in it, for one, is kind of awesome to begin with. And this is this is awesome. <laughs> Seriously, I, I just I, I love it. The the effects are phenomenal. They're used sparingly enough that you know, you don't see anything too 
Um, they don't linger on anything too long, so you can see like seams and stuff. But everything that's shown is just un- just gruesome and just effective enough that it works. And it's 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 awesome. And hell, it's a Dan O'Bannon film. What else you need? As you as you can tell, I really like this movie, and um, yeah, I'm a just and you know I'll say this also it's based on uh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward, and that's a story that has been adapted different ways and different times, but I always found like the Resurrected did it pretty well. Yeah. All right, uh, Glenn, let's uh, jump in with you then. I just went. <laughs> oh, Will, sorry. <laughs> got me, got me confused yeah, I'm, I'm not the French one. <laughs> <laughs> jumping back and jumping in, I got you guys fixed up. So, uh, Will, well, go ahead. Well, first of all, I, I love this movie, dude. Um, I didn't think I would uh, going to it because I, I thought, like, maybe... Look, the first 30 minutes were kind of really fucking slow. Like, I didn't really care for the first 30 minutes personally, but once, uh, you know, shit hits the fan, it hits the fan. You know, you get to the catacombs and shit, catacombs, the catacombs scenes are, dude, beautiful set pieces. Beautiful. I love it so much. Uh, what kept me interested into this movie is, you know, that that whole sense of you know mystery. You're you're kind of hooked on that mystery of what happened to this dude. What what was he really doing um, with you know those deliveries? Or I just I I really really enjoyed it. I think it's. Um, I think it's a good movie, actually. I think it's really fucking good. Um, I don't think it's the kind of movie like, um, let's say, I'm, you know, I'm going at my friend's place, and he's like, oh, we're going to watch this, grab a couple of beers and shit. That's not the kind of movie you would watch with a kind of, what kind of, like, you know, a bunch of beers. It's the kind of movie you got to sit through and just, let it flow. I think it, it works well. It works well. By the by, the end, I was quite surprised and pleased with uh, with it. So loved it. No problem whatsoever with any characters. Or I think it's it's a pretty good fucking movie. All right. Well, uh, fuck. Did it again, mm-hmm. Rob. <laughs> Uh, this is, I think, uh, well, I also have the German uh, blue, like uh, like Glenn, and uh, let's get the uh, obvious out of the room. Richard Band did the score again on this movie. I think the yep. score is really freaking awesome. Um, yep. And uh, and I, I was surprised to see the cinematographer on this uh, was uh, the same guy who did uh, Evil Speak back in 81. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Um, but I think the thing that, uh, you know, when I first, I think I went into this movie specifically because... I had fallen into and read the case of Charles Dexter Ward for the first time. Really loved the story. And I, I don't know, I was just sort of in that mode of, hey, I wonder if there's a movie about this. 
And of course, one of the ones that came up was the Resurrected. So somehow I got my hands on it. Maybe just rented it or something. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I think the the thing that I was I was I think I liked was it seemed closer to the source material. But at the same time, it just seemed something. I don't know. It was just something was off for me. It, it just I don't know if it was the uh, just the setup in the beginning and uh, the long pace of it. Um, by the time you get down into the catacombs. I freaking love it. I think that's some really, really awesome uh, stuff, like Will said. Um, but, you know, I wonder why Dan O'Bannon did not write the screenplay for this movie, because I wonder I wonder how more, how much more tighter the script would have been had he written it himself, and I wonder if that's sort of what, you know, kind of left me, you know, wanting a little bit of it. But I, I did like it because I thought it was closer, uh, you know, definitely a little bit closer to the source material terms of the overall story and again another story that has a really cool sort of apocalyptic feel in terms of uh, if this antagonist Kerwin gets his way it's not going to be good um, yeah for mankind and uh, and I think there's an element of apocalypticism to all the movies that really a lot of Lovecraft stuff and it's sort of this idea of the end of the world it's looming over us and uh, but I think uh, you know it's 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 I, I I actually probably, I think it's strength. Like, I thought uh, from beyond, it's strength was the special effects. I think the strength of this movie definitely sits on uh, Chris Sarandon's uh, performance. Um, I think he's awesome in this movie. Really delivers a pretty good performance. But uh, overall, I mean, overall, I, I, I like it. All right, Venom. All right, um... I'm not going to be as high on this movie as others on the show, I have a feeling. I like the movie, I do. I don't love it. Um, the things that have already been talked about, Chris Sarandon uh, obvious, great, obviously is great. Uh, the cast, for the most part, is great. But I have to point out one member of the cast that just grated on me the entire movie. And that's uh, the wife, Claire Ward, played by Jane Sebet, uh, or Sebet, however you pronounce it. I fucking hated her. I hated her line readings. I hated her voice. I don't know if that's what O'Bannon was going for, to have just this insipid, vapid, trophy wife-type character. Because from the moment I saw her, I just hated her. I just It, it comes off as such a... And I know, you know... You know, I think it's part or... of the charm of the whole thing because the, the whole thing is super fucking solid. I mean, it's just. I'm gonna say, you a Friends fan? Because that was Carol from Friends. Oh, I've, I've never watched. Uh, there's way too many white people on that show. I don't watch. That. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I mean for the most part, I like I said, I liked this cast. I thought John Terry did great. I thought Chris Sarandon did great. And one that maybe a lot of people aren't going to talk about is Robert uh, Romanus. Yes. Oh, like, absolutely, like my dude. Oh, I love him in Fast Times at Ridgemont yes. High, and when I saw him in this the first time, yep, I was yep. very excited. Yeah, and let and me tell you, halfway job, through the dude. movie, halfway through the fucking movie, I'm like, they cast that role perfectly. This guy, Robert is was the absolute perfect guy to 100% play a uh, privatized like sidekick or assistant or whatever you want to call him. Fucking loved it. He was the surprise of the film for me on this watch. Um, and yeah, and like I said, I hated the wife. Um, ultimately, I like the story. I, I am a fan of the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Um, 
you know, obviously the story and this film has elements of Hellraiser in it, which is one of my favorite films uh, ever. Oh, uh, dude, dude, dude uh, I agree 100% <laughs> with you. Yeah. Like the, you know, just the, the, exactly. the revival Any, of a dead body with the bones and shit coming, coming yeah. up. Ah, oh, dude. Anytime I, anytime I see a film with, with something along those lines bringing someone back Hellraiser, from the dead straight and away. there's a cost to it, either, you know, living people have to give themselves up, or in this case, the alchemist himself had to kind of lose his life to resurrect Kerwin, whatever the case may be. But, I, you know, I, I am a fan of alchemy, the mythology behind alchemy. Uh, whenever I see films about it, I'm usually on board. And like I said, for the most part, I was on board on this one. I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more effects, even though we do get a good amount of them. Um, and I and I agree with Rob, man. I, I, I the or whoever it was that said it about the writing. Uh, this movie would have been heads and shoulders better had O'Bannon written this thing. I mean, Dan O'Bannon is one of my favorite screenwriters out there. Absolutely love everything, he, almost everything that he does. And, you know, I'm sure he was busy and probably just didn't have the time to, you know, um, be able to write this screenplay as well. But, yeah, I, I 100% agree this film would have been better had O'Bannon wrote it. But, you know, we get what we get. It's a solid film. Um, I enjoy it. I will. I will watch it again. It will definitely be resurrected in my watch list very soon. But um, it's abs- It's definitely not a favorite Lovecraft of mine. It's probably not even top ten. As much as I like some of the performances and some of the gore, some of the kills, the final scene is awesome. Um, I, I really do enjoy it. But like I said, the the little things that take me out of the film. Uh, there's a few of them in there, and when that happens, it's kind of hard for me to, you know, jump in and say, oh, I love this movie. So, you know, I guess the long and the short of it is I enjoy the movie. I really like it. I don't quite love it. It has some shortcomings, but it's still a solid adaptation. All right. Um, for me, uh, I'm pretty much right where Venom is. Um I do think that a lot of this is the fact that it runs on way too long. Like Will says, the first half hour to this is just ungodly unbearable. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, you know, Bannon could have, you know, easily trimmed this down into a lot more manageable length. Oh, dude. It yeah, he could have. so fucking long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I do agree, though. I do think that a lot of the um, special, you know, goopy effects are fantastic. I, I love the scene in the backstory where they're fishing that thing out of the water and you get the reveal of what it is. Ugh, that thing is amazing. Um, not a huge fan of the finale. Uh, I think it just kind of goes on, you know, again, it's a bit too long, but, um, overall I probably say it's watchable. I, I definitely preferred this story a lot more when it was called the haunted palace. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, as much as I enjoy this, and uh, speaking of which, the um, story for earlier. Um, so I actually have seen this one before. This was actually a rewatch. Um, I had actually owned the VHS of this, but I own the VHS of this as Shatterbrain, the original title. Oh, okay. Shatterbrain, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, that's the original title. The original title is Shatterbrain, because I have the VHS, or I used to. See, what happened is is that I had the VHS of it years ago, 
And when they announced this movie called The Resurrected is getting a DVD, I'm like, what the hell is this? I don't give a crap. So I put it aside and didn't think about it. Mm. And then all of a sudden I turned around and I went to, you know, watch, you know, my Shatterbrain VHS one day because it had been years since I seen it. The VCR ate it. So I was like, I started looking up to see if I could find a replacement and realized, oh, shit, it's The Resurrected. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I turn around and look on eBay, and everything is like three hundred bucks because the yeah. thing had gone out of print. So I was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> so yeah, no, it was uh, fun to go back and um, revisit it now, knowing what I do know that it's actually called um, the Resurrected and not Shatterbrain. Because for years, I had it as Shatterbrain, not knowing about it. Mm. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, as for why they called it that, I have no idea. I don't know what that means in terms of the story. Um, it, I completely lost as to why it's called that. Because yeah. the resurrected, you know, it fits. There's a lot, you know, it. There's a lot to it that it just it feels right. So yeah. I, I don't understand. Shatterbrain what was a an old um, medical term for like crazy. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the brain shattered. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um. So, okay, that I, I get it now. But, um, yeah. So, it's, like I said, since I knew that it's called Resurrected now, I can actually go back in and get a, you know, pick up the Blu-ray version. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Other than that, um, I do think that the the film should have been, um, maybe given a second do-over if the screenplay. Tighten up the first hour, the first half hour. Yep, I agree, dude. Yeah, um, I I do like the fact that it does set a nice mystery as to where he is and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the sense that it's enjoyable to watch, but I do like that it sets up what happens to him later on. But by and large, um, not necessarily the best. You know, again, not the best Lovecraft version. I liked it better when it was called Haunted Palace, but uh, definitely a watchable entry. Mm-hmm. I agree, dude. Hundred percent, dude. I mean, it's so good. I mean, it really does have happens. some great. It's, it's so good when shit happens. Yeah, but it's so good when shit happens. But the the first twenty twenty five minutes, dude. Oh, yeah, it's it, kind of painful. It, it does dude. drag a bit at the beginning. Yeah, and then I think a lot of it is the finale and the the psych word at the end. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I do like the fact that it's all, you know, again, you know, more goopy 80s creature effects, but... Not just that. I mean, the the dude. But seriously, all of that means that this film has to run on over an hour and a half? No. Yeah. That's, That's what I'm saying, is that it probably needed to have, you know, taken a second... Be trimmed a little... Yeah, you know, tighten the first act. I agree act. with you. For once, I agree with you, Don. Yeah, tighten the first <laughs> act and then maybe shrink a little of the fi- the finale, you know. I don't mind that it's, I don't mind the action there. I just, I don't like that it's an hour and 40 minutes, an hour and 45 minutes. I agree with you, dude. You could cut the 21st minute of this film and it would be better for me. So, mm. I mean... This movie had a pit of Cronenbergs. <laughs> yes, it did. 
I will say, um, I, I was talking earlier about, um, what do you call it, uh, Robert uh, Romanus's role as Lonnie. I, I was a little disappointed with his death. Like, they kind of brush over it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if maybe his character wasn't meant to be one that the audience would kind of get behind and, 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 and kind of follow. I don't think so, because I never gave a fuck. So. Yeah, that, so you're probably right. Whereas, whereas I was like, when when he, you know, when, when we finally got his scene there, I, I was like, that's it. Like I was like disappointed that they didn't make a big deal about it. But you know, ultimately, I guess you know he is a secondary character, so I'm not gonna you know knock the movie too much for it. But I would have liked to have seen a little more. I'm sure but I'm dude, not the talk, only person who loved them. <laughs> talk about fucking terrifying, dude. I mean, the catacomb scene when um. Yeah. They are there, like, and they, when we first get a, like, a decent glimpse of, you know, well, you know, the resurrected creature, if you will, and they only have fucking matches. Yeah. Dude, that's fucking crazy, dude. Like, oh, light another one, light another one. We gotta see where we're at, dude. That's fucking crazy. I love it, dude. I love it. And the fucking creature effect, dude. The creature effect are fucking on point. I love it. Interesting yeah. bit of trivia about that. Um, there was originally supposed to be a scene where a creature comes running out and like it like attacks them or whatever, and they essentially they they beat the creature. And then they're looking at it in the light, and it talks, and it says "survival of the fittest." And, and the um, idea uh, is, I'm, I'm good without it, though. No, you know why, right? Because apparently it was supposed to have been Darwin, <laughs> Charles yeah. Darwin. Like uh, essentially, all like uh, the greatest minds. Right. Kerwin was like no, it's, resurrecting it's too them. much, dude. It would have been kind of fun, though. I mean, you know. It's a stretch, dude. It's a stretch. Oh, it I think totally it's... is, but, you know. Yeah. As, long as, they didn't, as long as they didn't, like, waste too much time on it, and it was just, like, a passing point, I would have been okay with it. Yeah. My main issue with this movie, I gotta say, the dream sequence, you know, when, when our main <laughs> character gets the dream sequence, it's it, it shot so painfully like it's unbearable I think yeah. personally it's a very juicy dream sequence yeah yeah <laughs> I, I no I don't I don't I still love this movie but some scenes eh, maybe like a little tweak you know some yeah. here and there it just needed to be run through an editor again yeah just get just get like maybe a you know a bit more you know trim it down yeah. just a bit one thing I did like about the movie, though, is how they kind of bring in real-world science to try to explain what they're talking about. Obviously, they're not going to be able to explain away all of it, but the fact that they bring up Nicholas Flamel... They still try. Exactly, yeah. But if anyone who doesn't know, Nicholas Flamel, of course, is the French alchemist that people credit with discovering the Philosopher's Stone. It yep. sounds like a movie plot, but check it out. Harry Potter, Harry Potter too, my dude. <laughs> it really does. But no, if if you're interested in alchemy, especially kind of the darker side of alchemy, yeah, check out, uh, look up Nicholas Flamel and check out uh, some of the things that he was talking about. He he's an interesting character to look up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Rob. Um, uh, I mean, I was just thinking, you know. Some of the uh, I was just thinking, you know, what uh, Venom said about uh, his uh, uh, about the uh, Claire Claire Ward's character. 
Um, it's funny because in the original story, it's the doctor, uh, Ward's doctor, uh, once he's escaped from the asylum, who starts to try to figure out exactly what's going on, and and this uh, sort of a uh, you know apocalyptic picture slowly unfolds in front of him throughout the course of the the story, and it, it has a real you know sort of end of the world. If, if I don't find a way to stop this, we're all in sort of trouble. And mm-hmm. again, in this story, I think some of that is sort of lost. I think, but uh, you, you kind of get some sense of it. I don't know. It doesn't. Again, it doesn't have that same dread for me. Yeah, that's the one thing that more modern Lovecraft movies tend to get a little bit more correct is the whole cosmic dread. You know, the, things coming from deep in the oceans, things coming from deep in outer space. They definitely kind of make humanity, you know, question their place in the universe. That's when Lovecraft is best at its core. It's making us question our place in the universe. It's making us realize that we are nothing. Compared are to what's out reality? there, we're nothing, you know? Yeah. And this guy, this this guy, Kerwin, man, the way, the way he's explained in the story... This dude's like the Antichrist or something, man. This guy is wicked. And uh, what's funny is the doctor unwittingly unleashes uh, Kerwin's main foe, who, you know, uh, the doctor happens to somehow is knocked out or, or fades, passes out or something. And this entity, you find out towards the end of the story, has actually gone out and dealt with all the other necromancers and stuff uh, that's out there, while the doctor actually goes back. Uh, and deals with Kerwin himself, and so it's a much different uh, feel, um, you know, more straightforward, I guess, in a way, but more sort of, I don't know, more, I don't know, more, I guess, more apocalyptic, I guess the word that keeps coming to my mind. <laughs> well, for me, dude, I mean... It's great. It's just great. Like, chop off, like, 30, 20, let's say 20, 25 minutes of it, and it's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for once, we agreed, Don. <laughs> so, uh, anybody have any uh, final thoughts before we go into ratings? No, didn't play it. Uh, no, no. I got everything out. All right. So, uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, I would probably say this is, um, even with uh, some of the faults I mentioned earlier, I would probably say maybe an eight for both the film and rewatchability, I'd say. And, um,. I can see some of the issues holding this one back from fans, so I would probably say, you know, give it a rent before you want to, you decide to own it, because you know, again, we still have to address the fact that you know, this is this was done a lot better in you know the haunted palace. So, uh, yeah, I'll say rent, rent before you buy. But I think a lot of Lovecraft fans, Lovecraft fans are gonna give this a, a buy. But if you're not a Lovecraft fan, give this a rent. Yep. So uh, let's go with uh, my buddy and partner on this one. Let's go with you, Will. For me, is uh, I gotta I gotta give it like an eight 
at least an eight. Rewatchability, though, if you're not a Lovecraft enthusiast, uh, uh, how do you say it? I think it was like enthusiast. Yeah, enthusiast. Uh, I would say like a seven. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a buy or rent? Well, it's a buy. If you're a horror fan and you're into, you know, Lovecraft, you gotta have it, so it's a buy. Alright, Will? Uh, Glenn? Uh, for me, it, it's like an eight. You know, I know it's not as great. Like, I, I, I really enjoy this movie a lot, but, you know, I know it's not you know, the end all be all. Uh, it's not the last Jedi. Yeah, rewatchability. Honestly, I'm I'm. This might sound a bit weird coming from me, but I'm giving it like a four. What? I love it, but it's not a movie I find myself going back to again and again and again. I'll watch this maybe once every couple of years. A four? That's crazy, a four. dude. four? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I think, I think it's the first time you, you went under five yeah. when it comes to rewatchability on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the thing, it's... Like I said... Oh, no, 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 I'm not correct. Uh, Devil Fish, you went, like, one. Zero, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, and as for buy or rent, it's a definite buy because it, it, it's awesome. But like I said, it's not a movie I find myself going back to. Like, I I, I can say, <laughs> is it is it better than Devil Fish though? Oh, hell, a lot better than Devil Fish. <laughs> Anything's better than Devil Fish. Black Christmas remake is better than Devil Fish. Oh fuck oh, you, dude! <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't agree, dude. Yeah, I know. That's that's not not actually true. But you know, <laughs> Devil Fish is better by like one point or something. Uh, oh. F- Oh, <laughs> uh, no, but like, uh, like I said, I find with the resurrected, I'll go back and watch like other movies on, on this show. I'll watch maybe once a year or whatever, but the resurrected it's, it's, you know, it's every couple of years at the most. It's not like I, a go to for rewatchability for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that buy or rent? Buy, definite buy. Definite buy, but four out of ten. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, eight out of ten for the movie, four rewatchability, but buy it so that you can watch it and not have to pay like four hundred dollars for a DVD. <laughs> yeah, like I almost did. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rob. Um. I'll probably go with an eight overall. Um, rewatchability is tough. Um, kind of, kind of like Glenn. I, this is a movie I don't find myself yanking off my shelf very often. But at the same time, that first half an hour is mu- as horrible as that first half hour is. When you finally do find a groove, and by the time they do get out to that farmhouse and start going down, in it does, it does really become um, fun. Uh, mm-hmm. So I probably. Uh, probably for rewatchability, uh, eh, I hang around a seven. Uh, it's a, it's a movie I don't you know pull off a lot, but uh, I'm, I'm finding myself enjoying certain aspects a little bit more. Uh, and unlike from Beyond, I mean where they took where they had to create so much more story 
because of how little story, this is one where actually this is one of Lovecraft's longer, uh, one of his longest stories, longer stories. And I wonder what, I just really wonder what Dan O'Bannon would have done with that thing, but uh, we'll never know. So um, I, I'm sort of, you know, find a way to see it first before you buy it, I guess. Uh, but I am a physical media guy, so, I mean, if there's any reason to want this film, whether it's Dan O'Bannon film or, you know, or uh, or uh, whatever, you know, you got to buy it. you got to buy it. All right, and Venom. All right, this is a really good film. It's not one of my favorite Lovecraft-style films out there, unfortunately. It has a few storytelling problems. And, and what's funny, too, is that I actually don't hate the first half hour as much as the rest of you guys. I'm a big fan of, like, classic crime noir films. And, you know, anybody who's familiar with noir knows that, you know, there's gonna, it's going to be a lot slower pace, especially early in the film. So, yeah, slow-driven narrative. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's slow, ultimately, but I've never really had a major problem with slow. As long as there's some kind of development going on on screen, either story or character, then I'm usually okay. And since it is, like, one of the opening scenes, you know, the scene in March's office, I mean, I don't mind it because I'm getting exposition, I'm, you know, I'm... I'm I'm uh, I'm starting the path that the director wants me to go on, so I don't I don't dislike that part of it as much. For me, it's more the horror. I wish they would have ramped up a little bit more, maybe a couple of more horror set pieces, um, a little bit more horror, maybe dude. expand on that on that pit of monsters. I would have loved to have seen more of that thing. But dude, uh, look more at the catacombs, of the catacombs, dude. No, the catacombs the cata are great, brother. But Play the catacombs is like ten, dude. fifteen minutes of the movie, ultimately. Uh, of an hour and 50 minute movie too that's the other thing if this were a 90 minute movie it would be a little bit tighter package and so i could agree. come in a little so bit higher so you agree with me and don um kind of because i don't hate those open that that i don't hate that first act I, I, I don't mind the first act. I, I am a story guy. I like hearing story. I want to hear, you know, if I'm going to spend almost two hours with a set of characters, I want to know as much about them as I can. So I don't mind that kind of character development. Like I said, I am a fan of noirs, and noirs almost always like that. So it's not a big deal for me. Um, but ultimately, I'm going to come in with an 8.5 for the film. It is actually, believe it or not, one of my favorite films of uh, 1991. Um, it's my number three, so... Nice, nice. So, yeah. Um, as far as rewatchability, I'm, I'm going to be right there with uh, Rob and Glenn. This isn't exactly... Like I said, it's not even a top ten Lovecraft film to me, so if, even if I am in the mood for cosmic horror, it's going to be rare that I reach for the resurrected. Yeah, because it's it not is, cosmic horror to begin with, so... I mean, you know, when you think about it, it kind of is, but no, because they, they are dealing with alchemy, which, you know, ultimately, it, you know, has a sense of dread in and of itself. You know, those who know about alchemy and what happens to most alchemists, obviously. Um, so uh, for rewatchability, I'm still going to come in a little bit higher than uh, Glenn. I'm going to say I'm going to give it about a six for rewatchability, and then I'm going to split my vote for buy or rent. I mean, if you're a Lovecraft fan, no question. It's a buy. Just go ahead and buy it. If you're on the fence on Lovecraftian horror and you're not 100% sure that this is for you, I would definitely rent it first because this isn't going to be a movie that's universally loved, even by Lovecraft fans. So 
Um, if, if, if there's any trepidation whatsoever, I would say rent it, but otherwise, it, it's a buyer. Alright, so let's move on to our next film of the evening, 2005's The Call of Cthulhu. Let's start with you. Okay. I, I have to say, boy, the first time I saw this movie, it really blew me away. Just being an absolute, you know, Lovecraft fan, his stories first and foremost, how they translate. And a movie that was only made on, what, $50,000 or something? And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, and how they did it. And Glenn will do a much better job, you know, speaking to that aspect of it. But, uh, how they presented it in both silent uh, and black and white as a very old, old film. But that, the, the way they do that allows them to stay really close to the actual story. I, I was telling Glenn uh, earlier, you know, re-watching this again, I, I thought, man, this really does walk really close 
you know, you know, step by step with the original story. Except uh, there's when you're on on a, the on the sea, um, and the Emma first runs into the alert. Uh, there's actually, uh, and it, you know, they actually invade uh, their boat and attack them, and you know, they got to kill them all, and then they have to jump on the other boat, and that scene is is left off the film. But in terms of just walking with the original source material, I mean, I was absolutely astounded by what they were able to do on such a, a minimal budget. It, it it really did blow me away. And first and foremost, it's not necessarily right, I guess, all the time. But I'm, I'm always wanting to see, okay, what did you do with the source material when you decided to put it on film? And they really take the source material with high regard. And uh, this, this movie really did, uh, it, it really did blow me away. I was extremely surprised. And uh, not just this one, but the few others that the, uh, the Lovecraft Historical Society uh, has put, I think Whisper in the Darkness was another one. Is that right, Glenn? Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a fun movie. Um, <laughs> Very fun. So, and it's funny because, uh, you know, you take something like The Call of Cthulhu and how they were able to do it, and then you, you and we'll get there, I know, but when you take a look at what Richard Stanley was able to do on a much larger budget, it, it's it's the two films are really great for that reason because they both really take the source material um with high regard, and I absolutely just love that. And uh, there's so much to like about this, but huge fan of it. Oh yeah! Uh, all right, let's go to uh, Venom. Venom. You there, buddy? Sorry, I'm here, buddy. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, I am going to echo everything that's already been said. This movie is an absolute masterpiece. I fucking love it. The, the, the aesthetic choice of going with the silent film presentation is an absolute home run. Making the film both look and feel like it was actually shot in the 20s when the events, or at least very soon after the events would have taken place, once again, an absolute... Uh, amazing hundreds and shit dude oh yeah love it and I, I i i've heard some people complain a little bit about cthulhu himself but i i fucking love what they did with it ultimately knowing that the movie has a fifty thousand dollar budget it was shot in 2005 but to make it look and feel that's the thing it's easy to shoot a movie in black and white but to have that spectacular orchestral score that emulates everything Isn't that we heard great it was oh, great, dude. I would amazing. buy the vinyl any fucking day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, between the score, between... And obviously with silent films, you don't have to worry so much about acting performances. As long as no one is incredibly over the top, everyone is going to be fairly believable. My wife actually <laughs> had a chuckle at all the men wearing lipstick in this movie. But again, <laughs> that's what the movie would have looked like in the 20s. So again, the aesthetic choice is flawless in my opinion um i thought the writing was great obviously with a silent film you're going to be reading text so um what little is in there gives you enough of a story even if you're not familiar with the book you can go into this blind and still get a really good idea of um you know uh what lovecraft was going for with this set of three short stories 
I absolutely love the idols, um, both the idols in the second story and then the one in the third story uh, of Cthulhu himself. I thought they both looked great. Uh, The first one that they showed in the second story, I thought looked exactly like something that would have been made in the 20s. It has like very stylized curves on it. It almost looks like a building gargoyle, um, which I absolutely love. And I'm just kind of curious, uh-huh. though, uh, uh, Venom. I gotta ask you, though. Yeah. I see. I see uh, your point there, but for me, um, the movie really felt like you know a product with like supposed time, if you will. Sure. After the you know when they get to the cult, uh, seeing the cult in the forest and shit. Mm-hmm. I think. Afterward, it it really feels like okay and believable, but before it, eh. uh, I don't know. I I never had any problem with believability early on. I mean, obviously, yeah. you go into it knowing that it's from two thousand five, so there's gonna be some hurdles that you're gonna have to go over. You have to get past that fact. You have to realize that the aesthetic that they're going for is of the twenties and thirties and trying to make it of its perceived time. Um, so ultimately the viewer has to kind of live within those parameters. Um, yeah, but maybe it's just because like we follow like maybe like two, three, four person and we like follow those people and you see them talk and you know, you got, you got the, like, uh, like, tr- well, it's not translation. I don't know how to say it in, in, in English, but Yeah. It's gonna. It's still cool. Like, don't get me wrong, but it, it it's not really believable. I think, dude. Well, I mean, it, it, we are talking about a monster that's older than time itself, so it, very little is gonna be believable about it anyway. Well, <laughs> from, from, from the point that, that where we got to the call, dude, I think it's believable. Where we see oh, the call, I course, think it's believable. Of course, cults are believable because they exist. We all know cults exist, and. There's probably a lot worse ones than Cthulhu's cults out there. So, <laughs> yeah, I think so. So too. obviously, yeah, that real world sensibility is there, and then you do tend to lose it when you start talking about a hundred story monster that comes from the depths of the ocean. But the point is, you're going into a Lovecraft movie. You 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 kind of need to throw that shit out the window. You're not, you know, we don't jump into a Lovecraft movie to to see lo- logical events occur in chronological order. By any stretch. That's we're, true. You know, we're looking for entertainment. We're looking for monsters. We're looking for cosmic horror. Um, you know, ultimately, did this movie really touch on the cosmic dread of it all? Minorly? Absolutely minor. not. I, I don't, yeah, I definitely don't think that they, you know, because obviously when you talk about Cthulhu, it's all kind of based on Earth. You know, he wants, you know, yeah, underwater, Earth, everything yeah. else, blah, blah, blah. So, but, you know, there have been more, you know, other adaptations, you know, where they're able to kind of portray that sense of cosmic dread a little bit more. This movie's definitely not it, but again, because of the aesthetic that they went for, I personally think they nailed everything about the film. I love the set design. I love the shot of the guy walking around the giant books, and those are all real life books, by the way, um, actual stories. Was I was I the only one who got like, uh, you know, cabinet of Dr. Caligari kind of, you know, mm-hmm. set pieces and shit. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think when you watch a silent movie, you're always going to like be reminded of the greatest ones, but I don't see really a whole lot of story similarities between the no, two. No, not story, <laughs> but set design, dude. The way right, the design, right. but that's you know, what they're, they're going for. I mean, yeah, don't forget, this is a 2005 movie. They're trying I know, to emulate that aesthetic. It's, it's, done, so. it's done so well, though. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. If that's what you're going for, then yes, it is done. It, 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 the set design is stellar in here. Um, using you know kind of the the grainier film stock to give it once again that aesthetic that, that it is you know a hundred year old movie or almost a hundred year old movie is uh, top notch. Um, ultimately, I have nothing negative I can say about this movie. Even you know with our stop motion Cthulhu at the end, I, I, was, I didn't mind. Dude. I, I love, it. love the look of Cthulhu at the end. Yeah, is it goofy? Sure, of course it is. But you know we're not we're not. This isn't a fifty million dollar you know, underwater movie that we got earlier this year. This which was fucking great, by the which way. Which was also great in its own right. Absolutely, you are correct. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I'm, I'm just going to stop here because I could talk about, for a 45-minute movie, I could talk about this thing for like three hours. So, yeah, uh, I love just about everything about this. It's going to be hard for me to knock anything about Alright, so uh, let's go with you, Glenn. Yeah, you can tell right from the beginning the sheer like love. Yeah, the the definite love and passion and just all around joy that these people had making this movie, and it comes Absolutely. across. It comes across so well, and it's man. This I I've said it before. I think this is the single greatest Lovecraft adaptation ever. The fuck out of here. I mean, no, when I'm, you think about the, uh, you know, if, if we're talking about being faithful to the source yeah. material, I absolutely right. agree. Yeah. You know, it, it is like, I, I could have imagined if Lovecraft had sold the call of Cthulhu to uh, a movie studio back in the twenties, this is what you would have got. And it would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't think of any gripes for it because I love every bit of this movie. And you just got to applaud any DVD that's released with 46 different translations. <laughs> that's what this movie has. 46. 46? Yeah, 46. So essentially you could buy this DVD and watch it anywhere in the world. You know, there's intro titles for everything, and it, it, it's awesome. The the stop motion effects on Cthulhu have a, a real charm to them. I I put it up like you know you know when you watch the original King Kong. No, it reminded me of fucking Clash of the Titans. Oh hell yeah, yeah, yeah Clash of the Titans for sure. Harry has it. The thing with the thing what what I was saying was like with the original King Kong, you watch it and yeah you. You know it's it's stop motion, but there's like a reality to it. You you almost feel like this is like an actual like creature, and you get the same feeling with Cthulhu. But I, I is it is it a fan fan film? Or Essentially, like- yeah. H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society they uh they do a lot of uh, essentially fan fan stuff, yeah. Damn, so, that's, that's great, yeah. dude. 
Yeah. That's great. It's my least favorite of the whole list, but it's still great. Oh yeah. You you need to see Whisperer from Darkness. I think you'll I think you'll dig that one. Um Yeah, I enjoyed all the all the acting in it. Obviously like like it was mentioned before, you know, there's only so much you can do when you don't actually talk. But it it seems obvious to me that, you know, there was actually dialogue written. Oh, you know, yeah, it is. It is. You see them speaking, yeah. And it doesn't look like they're just saying, like, blah, 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 blah. No, no, it no, looks, it's dialogue yeah. written, for sure, for sure, yeah. absolutely. You know, and that's something, you, you just have to appreciate that. Like, they know full well this this isn't going to be in the movie, but we still wrote the dialogue. You know? Yeah, I, I yeah it's that. true, dude. Uh, what made me realize, like, I was like, oh, was it just... Like, you know, blah, 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 we're trying to, you know, mm. imitate some pseudo-dialogue. Yeah. But when, uh, you know that scene when, um, I don't remember his name, the dude with the, the, uh, when he's lying on the bed, like, at the hospital or some shit, yeah. and, like, the doctor is there, and he's, like, talking to him, I was like, dude, I can read shit on his lips. Yeah. It's awesome. It really is. And... Yeah, the soundtrack's awesome. Uh, you can you can buy a CD of it. I don't know about vinyl. Is there a vinyl? I, I would buy know. a vinyl right away, dude. The soundtrack is fucking cool, dude. The, it uh, is. The first, uh, you know, flashback sequence is, like, so fucking joyful, but the more oh, you yeah. get into the film, the more flashbacks you get, it's, like, going darker and darker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it, dude. Interesting bit of trivia, you know, you know the box in that movie. Um, yeah, the box HP, on the chair at the beginning. The uh, yeah, the, the main you know, box, if you will. Yeah, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society were actually selling those. They're called the Angel Box. They were like four hundred dollars. They came with the Cthulhu st- statuettes and all the all the written like newspaper articles and all that stuff. It's all in there. <laughs> And you can actually, I think you can still buy them, actually. Pretty damn, damn cool. That's fucking sweet, dude. It is. I mean, I I love the amount of passion that's shown in this movie. And, and it shows, dude. It yeah. shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a love letter to Lovecraft, for sure, dude. Yeah, I definitely. Mean, and, it, and it proves, you know, they always said that uh, Call of Cthulhu could never be filmed. Because like the way it's written and everything, it could never be made into a movie. This proves that it could be. They did it. They did it well. Yeah. Yeah. Video game wise, they did it well. They they kind of succeeded. Video game, yeah, yeah, that worked as well. But yeah, it's a it's a great movie. Hundred percent. All right, uh, Will. Anything else to jump on for final thoughts? Or? <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> did, uh, did anybody happen to read the credits, the end credits? No, there's, no, there's a couple of really funny like disclaimers in there that I thought, because I, I am a credits watcher. I always watch all credits of every movie I watch. Don't ask why. 
But uh, yeah, there's two in this in, in during the closing credits of this movie that I thought were funny. Uh, the first one says, violators of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Historical Society copyrights may have their eyes plucked out by, yeah. by Yaki as they sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. And anybody who knows Lovecraft, yeah, you do not want your eyes uh, pe- pecked out by, by Yaki. Those things are fucking terrifying. Uh, the <laughs> other one is the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society reserves the right to use Mego for purposes of copyright enforcement. <laughs> and once again, the Mego, the Mego are like those giant hornet-looking things, also fucking terrifying. So, yeah. Um, I, I just thought that that was so great that they actually did that. And then the last little bit of uh, haha trivia that I thought to, to point out. Uh, did anybody notice the Latin motto on the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society logo? It says Ludo Fore Pudavimus. And that is Latin for we thought it would be fun. <laughs> Literally. It's Latin that's, for we thought it would awesome. be fun. <laughs> I that love that. That's awesome. <laughs> so even the uh even the Lovecraft Historical Society has a sense of humor. It's oh, good to yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, so I guess uh, that leaves with me. Um, and Rob. No, I went Rob first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this damn. just proves why I'm not a fan of silent films. I had a hard time staying interested in this. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I am not a fan of silent films at all. Um, I've only seen maybe three or four. And every time it's just... It, it just takes me out of it. I just, I can't get into them. And it's the lack of an everyday soundtrack. I, I just, it just, I just, there's some kind of disconnect inside me. I just, I can't get into these kinds of films. Mm. And as much as I appreciate every single piece of, you know, I'll never knock the filmmaking on this. You know, you guys have said it yourselves. This thing just absolutely bleeds how passionate they are about the project and how accurate they are to the source material. But as a film, if I'm just watching this as a film to throw on, I cannot stay interested in this. I, it's just dull. I just, I can't get into it. And it's the filmmaking style. I just, I need, you know, I need people talking to each other and I don't need people, you know, mouthing things at each other with some wanky ass, piano blaring around in the background it just for me it's just there's a disconnect i can't get into it and as as much as i love i love the craft of this that's just not what i look for i just i don't watch movies to watch filmmaking craft being explored Mm. so i just it just left me bored and i I lost track of what was going on. Who knows how many times just glancing down at what was going on, remembering myself. Oh, wait a second. What the hell happened? And then I look up and I'm like, where the hell are we? I mean, it's like literally almost, this was like 45 minutes trying to rewatch everything. It took me almost three hours to watch this. I will I will admit silent films are hard to watch at home because you have so many potential distractions. Yeah. And I'm used to like having dialogue or something like, jolt my memory to like look back up and see what's going on because even though i'm not watching it i can still hear them saying things 
and I can still get like a sense of like what's going on with like you know hear car doors or you hear like you know things in the trees or something scuttling around in the background you can at least like oh wait okay yeah so i can like pay pay like, like revert your attention back and look at it so there's oh, there- still, like, cues to figure out you know like okay even though i'm not paying attention i can still look back and see what's going on or i can still hear like get like a general sense of what's going on mm-hmm. but yeah no trying to stay in tune with what was going on. It took me like three hours to watch this. Just trying to, yeah, just trying to, well, I'm just saying is like, it took me around three hours to watch it just because, you know, I would like glance down and I'd look at my Kindle because everybody's yakking away on their chat rooms and everything. And I, you know, I can't stay focused on what was going on. So I've got to go back and I was like, wait a second, what were they talking about? Or, Something like that, and I'm like, oh wait, what was what was going on? Because I'm not familiar with the story. This is one of the few that I don't have much familiarity with. Uh, you know, I, most of Lovecraft stories, I have a general idea of what it's about. This is actually one of the few that I don't know anything about. Well, Don, if you ever make it out to L.A., I'm going to change your mind about silent movies. There is a uh, movie theater out here, an old-time movie theater called the Old Mill Creek Theater. Uh, They specialize in silent films, but the thing that they do differently is they have a live orchestra playing the soundtrack. So they remove the soundtrack from the film, and they'll have an orchestra there. I've seen Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, The Phantom Carriage, and Call of Cthulhu, with a live orchestra playing the soundtrack, and it, 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 it's a fucking, uh, how can I even put it? I mean, to say it's a mind-blowing experience almost does it an injustice. I mean, you, you definitely won't have any trouble paying attention to the movie when a live orchestra is right in front of you, especially in this particular theater, because it's a small theater, so the orchestra's really loud without having to be amplified or anything. But, um, yeah, every Hallow- every October, which is now, of course, they do horror movies. They'll do, like, the, the old silent classics. Um, and if you, so if you ever make it out here, I'm going to make it my uh, duty to change your mind on silent films. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I mean, I've seen Nosferatu. I've seen Hoxton. I've seen uh, Phantom of the Opera, the Lon Chaney version. So uh, those were the three, and it's just I, I I really just I have a hard time staying interested in silent films. So yeah, no, it's not a critique on the the filmmaking craft itself. That is absolutely you know what I enjoy about it, and it's going to be reflected in my ratings. But yeah, as a film, and to illustrate that, I'm going to get into it now. For my ratings uh, as a film, this is a two. Um. Yeah. Oh, my heart. My heart. <laughs> yeah. Oof. That's that's. Uh... But as a rewatchability, I'm gonna say based on it being not my style, but I can appreciate the craft of what was going on as a rewatchability. This is an eight and a half. Okay. And you know, definitely, like I said, you know, if you're a fan of silent films, this is easily maybe. This is an easy, easy buy. Not even a rent. This is an easy buy if you're a fan of silent orders. But if you're somebody like me that just you can't get into them for whatever reason, this is an automatic skip. Mm. Well, that's a valid 
thing, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I don't want to make, you know, I, I want to get this out there. I enjoy the craft of what was going on. It's just that's not what I watch movies for. Yeah. So uh, to me, yes, I absolutely enjoyed, you know, watching what was going on and how they were going about creating it. Just watching it as an experience piece. Ugh, it, yeah, not not my thing. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, go on with uh, you, Will. Dude, I mean, it's this movie is the one that I was like, eh, not sure, it's okay, it's all right, you know? You know, we had, like, heavy hitters, like, fucking From Beyond, uh, The Resurrected, so... And that's the first one I watched for, uh, you know, prep-wise for this show. <sighs> My initial thoughts were, like, uh... You know, it's a silent film, it's a silent film, it's like... It is what it is. It's it's still good. It's good, dude. It's good. I I would watch this movie any day of the of the year if I could. I mean, it's not bad, but you got way better stuff out there when it comes to fucking Lovecraft. I think, and I mean, you know, I know it's no big budget movie. It's no, you know. From beyond, or no fucking like color out of out of space. It's good. It's really good if you are willing to go deeper into Lovecraftian filmmaking, if you will. Not my cup of tea, personally, <laughs> but it's still good. <laughs> It's a 48-minute film, I think. 46-minute film. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. It's good. You won't you won't be bored with it. Because, I mean, it, it's short. It's, I think it's like you love it or you don't. Mm-hmm. For me, I loved it. It's not something I would... Necessarily, like, recommend to, uh, let's say, one of my good friend uh, comes over and he's like, hey, you know, I want to learn more about uh, Lovecraft. I want to be like, oh, you know what, dude? Let's watch this forty-minute silent film, and you, you you will enjoy it. You know, no, of course not. But if you are into Lovecraft enough. I think you can sit through it. It's good. It's good. Like I, like I told you, it's good. Mm. But I gotta say, dude, it's the one film I... From all four films we have tonight, it's my number four on the, lead, on the list, dude. It's, it's good. But it's nothing amazing. Alright, uh, Glenn? Um, from, we're doing ratings, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, because Will didn't do his ratings yet. No. Oh. <laughs> well, Venom did it, didn't, too, didn't do his rating, too. 
Well, you haven't got that point yet. (laughs) (laughs) You just said we're at ratings. Yeah. Okay, so we're starting. Oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Well, okay, okay, I guess I'll start then. Um, No, no, but you said Glenn. Is it my turn? Oh, for rating? For rating for me. I thought we just did ratings, yeah. He didn't give us his rating. Yeah. Oh, I thought he did. Nope. No. No. <laughs> oh, sorry, r- I was tracking all that rambling. <laughs> My rating is a 7 out of 10. Rewatchability is probably like a 7. Buy a rent. It's a buy, if you can find it. Mm. Hmm. Nice. Uh, as for me, uh, overall, 10. Rewatchability, 10. Mm. Mm-hmm. Buy or rent, definitely buy and buy multiple copies and send it to your friends. <laughs> Damn. You, you must beautiful. spread the gospel that is Cthulhu. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I thoroughly love this movie. So much so, let's put it this way rewatchability is so much that when we finish recording this, I'm probably going to watch it again. Can't go wrong with that 45 minute runtime, man. No. That's the one. (laughs) All right, so uh, Venom? All right, well, I absolutely support everything that Don and uh, Will said about the film. Uh, Silent films just aren't for everyone. Mm. Uh, I I myself am am an old soul, so I tend to appreciate classic cinema maybe a little bit more than the younger audience, but... Um, Like I said, I will fully support Don and Will's opinions um, as far as the the fact the movie maybe didn't work for them. But I will also vehemently disagree with all of it. This movie is astounding. If you are a fan specifically of Lovecraftian, uh, Lovecraftian literature, this is the adaptation to watch. This thing is amazing from a reader's standpoint. Yes, it's not going to be the most exciting movie. It doesn't have the thrills of From Beyond. It doesn't have the beautiful colors and cinematography of Color Out of Space. But as far as being faithful to the source material, nothing beats it. It's like they literally, as I'm reading it, they are taking my thoughts out of my head and putting it on celluloid. That's how, that's how closely this movie looks to what I think in my mind as I'm reading the book myself, um, uh, the story, excuse me. So, like I said, I, I, I'm right there with Glenn. This this movie is a 10 out of 10. It may not be a 10 out of a 10, 10 out of 10 for sheer cinematic prowess. I understand that. Like I said, again, it's silent, and I understand a lot of people have an aversion to silent films or foreign films, reading subtitles, things like that, blah, blah, blah. But if you can get by all that and you are a fan of uh, Lovecraft's literature, th- this this movie is stellar. It, it is just amazing. So 10 out of 10 for the film, 10 out of 10 for rewatchability. And I would say buy it, steal it, kill, kill a fucking homeless person if you have to to get it. <laughs> just get your goddamn hands on this movie. <laughs> and Rob. Wow. I don't know if I can outdo that. Um, <laughs> You know, being I have a huge fan of black and white as a medium to watch films. I absolutely love black and white. The one aspect of filmmaking that I have not really ventured far deep into is 
the silent format that can go along with that. And what I had thought would be a, a great segue into that momentarily was when um, uh, George Miller had initially announced that when he was going to put out his black and white cut of uh, Fury Road, he also wanted it to be silent. And so as I waited for that release, which ultimately, of course, we know it only came out of black and white, um, as beautiful as it is to watch black and white, black and white it wasn't silent. So this film then became sort of a segue for me to sort of really feel my way through a silent, um, a silent film. Um, this movie, what I look for more than anything is, how did you take Lovecraft from the page and put it on the screen? And they, I don't know if they could have done a more perfect job with this. I'm not quite a 10, but I am definitely a 9 and a half out of a 10. For me, first and foremost, it is almost literally right off the page on screen, as almost perfect as you could for how they did it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And for me personally, at least, in terms of the cosmic dread and, and the uh, uh, just the apocalyptic feel of it, I thought it was definitely, I thought it was more evident than the two other films that we already talked about. I thought just the piecing together and, and the building of it leading up to that great climax of uh, the sailors unwillingly opening up the dark cavern and allowing Cthulhu uh, to come out and, and, of course, just the knowledge that the world is on a brink of disaster at any given moment, I, I thought was uh, really, uh, I could feel it. it. It really did work for me. Maybe not quite to the level of reading it off the page, but I thought they did a really good job. Uh, like the it. atmosphere, atmosphere-wise. Yeah. I mean, just just the idea of... go to. Yeah, just the, the idea of Cthulhu coming up out of that thing, that was just really, was really super cool. And just the weight of burden that that guy had to carry, um, I thought was translated pretty well. But uh, in terms of rewatchability, I, I'm somewhere in the middle on all of this, I think. Um, with the silent film... You know, when you throw on From Beyond, I mean, there's not a lot of work there to do to watch the movie. It's a fun popcorn movie. You have fun with it. The special effects are great. But when you put in Call of Cthulhu, there's work involved because it is silent. And it's not just about reading subtitles. You're reading the film. You're really engaged with the film. And you can't have distractions as we have millions of distractions, you know, all the, all the time. So it, it does take a lot of work and effort if you're going to sit and really, really get the most that you can get out of this film. And so I'm, I'm around an eight on rewatchability. I, I, you know, this is a film I got to be careful when I put on because I really want to engage it and, and get as much out of it as I can. Um, but it is nearly a perfect film in terms of Lovecraft off the written page. And definitely it is a mandatory buy. Um, I got it. I found it. And thankfully it's in my collection. And I love it. absolutely love it, the fact that I got it. And so, yeah. All right, so with that, let's move on to our final film of the evening, 2020's The Color Out of Space. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream.
big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. You mean it's radioactive? I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? It's in the static, it's in the moisture, it's in here, it's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. It's just a color. Can you believe me now? I don't know why I believe anymore. Who would I go first? Uh, let's uh, go with you, Venom. Alright. Let me just pull up my notes here. <laughs> Alright, well. Man, what can we say about color out of space? I mean, obviously the first thing that's going to jump out at you is the cinematography. Just the gorgeous camera work that we get um, out of our director of photography in this one. Um the use of color throughout obviously the name of the movie color out of space makes a lot of sense that there's going to be you know a lot of pink and purples in it and combinations of the two to make up you know as they say in the in the movie a new color that no one's ever seen um this movie's directed by richard stanley and richard stanley has no right to make this good a film how, where the fuck does he get off making a movie like this? Because Richard Stanley's filmography isn't exactly something to write home about. And then he hits a fucking home run with this movie. I got to see this movie earlier this year in theaters. Um, I got to see it in IMAX, even though the movie's not oh, uh, shot damn, in IMAX. Oh, IMAX, dude. Yeah, um, the only issue is that the movie wasn't shot in IMAX, but this particular theater that I went to wanted to show it in IMAX. So, so it's not a perfect translation, but, oh, it was still fucking gorgeous. Uh, absolutely stunning transfer. It's... Um, it's a very faithful adaptation of the uh, of the source material. Obviously, you've got Nicolas Cage. Um, you know, you're you get your rage cage. All the cage yeah, fans. You're over the top, fucking cage. Let, well, well, let him finish. <laughs> um, okay, and I. And you get the nice slow build, too, you know, where Nick Cage is just this stand, you know, this normal, everyday dad who's, you know, kind of cool with his kids, but then just slowly, you know, devolves and spirals into insanity. And it, I, I think, honestly, I think it's one of Nick Cage's strongest performances. Obviously, it's not going to get any Academy attention, as it is a horror film, 
But ultimately, this is, you know, this is up there with leaving Las Vegas for me as far as his performances go. Um, I thought the secondary cast was great. And how awesome was it to see Tommy Chong actually taking a role seriously? He wasn't just some stupid stoner. I mean, it it seems like he actually, like, studied and took, you know, and, and, you know, maybe practiced with, uh, you know, uh, script supervisors and whatnot. I mean, bravo to Tommy Chong, because this performance is so not Tommy Chong, other than the fact that, yes, he's a hippie, he's living off the grid, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't come off as like you're, you know, he doesn't come off as, you know, Cheech and Chong, Chong anyway. So he still comes off as being like, you know, delusional, but, you know, oh, yeah, acid sure. wise instead of, you know, just pot. Exactly. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, obviously, any guy who lives off the grid and, you know, his only friend is a cat, you know, you're going to question his mental stability anyway. But ultimately, great performance by Mr. Chong. Great performance by everybody in the film, really. I have no issues with any of the performances. Um, as far as the story goes, once again, it's Lovecraft. It's gonna be it's gonna be cosmic in scope. It's not gonna make sense to a lot of people. Hell, it's not gonna make sense to most people, and that's fine. This is Lovecraft. It's cosmic horror. It's not supposed to be about your level of understanding of what's going on. Just the fact that something is going on, something is terrorizing this family, and it obviously has a greater scope than just this family. I mean, as soon as we see the flowers start growing around their property, we know this is not going to be isolated to just the um, the house of... Uh, what the gardeners the gardeners house you know this is something that's going to affect the entire planet potentially so you get that cosmic dread right from the start you get some great effects um there's some cg in here that's maybe a little questionable but i'm okay with it because i i love that praying mantis creature that they created for this one i thought he looked great um, I am not a hater of CG overall. Obviously, if CGI looks terrible, I'm going to gripe about it. But ultimately, it's not the kind of thing that always takes me out of a film. So they don't, they, don't, it, um, they don't abuse it in this movie. We still get plenty of body horror practical effects in this. Lots of them. And that's really what keeps this movie kind of grounded in at least Lovecraft's reality. Maybe not our reality in real life, but... Um, I, I might be getting a little existential for, for this whole thing, but overall, absolutely love this movie. This is going to be another movie that's near perfect to me, but perfect for a completely different reason. Whereas Call, uh, excuse me, whereas Call of Cthulhu was more about, um, its adaptation and how well it translated from the page to celluloid. This one, it's it's just a triumph of cinema, in my opinion. It may not be the greatest story ever told, but with the visuals that they give us, and I, I do own the 4K Blu-ray of this, and I watched it last night on my 60-inch TV, and it is still absolutely stunning. It's gorgeous. Um, and it's not just about the colors, either. There are shots in this movie that don't involve the glowing color that are still absolutely gorgeous in how they're framed, how they're set up, and what, you know, the subject on the screen is telling us. So, I mean, this is definitely an auteur's film. Even though you get Rage Cage, you get some cool, gory effects. Um, you know, you get some cool creature designs. Um, but it, this film... I, I, 
I'm I'm not gonna say masterpiece because that really is a stretch, and I, I and I understand that that word is kind of a bad word to a lot of people because a lot of people abuse it. So I'm not gonna call this that. But this movie is about as damn a good an adaptation of Colorado Space as I think any director could have given us with any budget. Back to you, Don. <laughs> damn. Uh, okay, so uh, let's go with uh. All right, Rob. You think you're trying to? Oh man. Uh, I, I, I'll approach it just slightly different, in, but in terms of the cinematography, I almost feel like someone is casting a spell over me, and the opening frame of this, when you're just looking up into the trees, it, it's and the music the, that underlies the, uh, the the early narration from Ward Phillips, I, I just feel like I am sucked into a, a Lovecraft story that I think this to me is my perfect perfect Lovecraft translation I think now being a fan of hardware I absolutely love Richard Stanley and what he was able to do with this story now this it's not perfect off the page but how he translates it how he lays out across from us is just it's I don't it's it bewilders me as I watch it because to me this is a perfect, perfect Lovecraft experience, and there there are just some, maybe one of the creepiest moments in a film for me is with is with Sean when when you're in Ezra's little place towards the end and you're getting to hear his voice uh, playback. Oh my God, that is so freaking creepy! I just <laughs> love it though, and if it, that's not enough, you come out of out of his little shed area that he lives in. And we see the one sheriff get, like, just yanked up the tree, which is just freaking awesome. Uh, it's just got so many elements. The character, I think the characters, the way they've been, they were drawn up, is absolutely fabulous. You, you so buy into the fact that this family has just been reeling, you know, from this, uh, you know, being a cancer survivor. And just they're mending and they're trying to put their family together. And somehow move forward, and then you know, being, you know, that this is a cosmic horror, um, as if life could not get any worse for this poor family, is about to get a whole lot worse. And I thought Richard Stanley, he, I don't think he could have executed this vision any more clear than what he did for us. And I, I, I just wonder how this moves forward uh, into. I guess supposedly a Dunwich Horror, and then maybe even Shadow Over Insmith. He wants this to be a trilogy, and boy, if he can somehow even come anywhere close to to replicating what he did with this film in Dunwich Horror, and then maybe his ultimate masterpiece being Insmith, I think we've got a lot to look forward to if he can pull this off. Mm-hmm. This, but this film by itself, it, it is. Oh man, I, I just it's. Spellbinding. I, it's just everything about it just works. I don't know if there's an inch moment in this movie that does not work for me, being as much a Lovecraft fan as I am. It just, it is perfect in almost every every aspect as it could be. Uh, I just love it. I absolutely love it. All right, uh, let's go, Glenn. Um. I, I gotta agree. I love this movie, and 
There, there's one thing that I did notice, which was kind of interesting, was just the fact that, like, just little things scattered around the sets and everything that make everything feel kind of real. Like, the fact that, you know, the the girl at the beginning, the daughter who's, like, the, the Wiccan or whatever, the fact that she has the Book of the Law by Aleister Crowley, <laughs> like, a genuine occult book, you know, from a genuine occultist. Um, I really appreciated that. You know, the, you know, leave out the Necronomicon that's there, because that's, you know, a little on the nose, but other than it's that... It's cliche. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's a little dumb, but you know... But the, it makes the, sense the, that she would have it, as oh, yeah. she's just a little white girl practicing witchcraft. <laughs> exactly. But I love the fact, though, but like I said, she has the book of the law, so that it it it's almost like that's almost like giving credence to the fact like it's not just like you know a little girl playing being a witch. She actually has something more Some... deeper interest. I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, like 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 you've said, you know the the cinematography is gorgeous. Um, the use of the, the actual color that they use, I mean, that's one thing that I guess, you know, Lovecraft fans have always kind of griped about, you know, the fact that he talks about the fact that it's a color just because there's no other word that would come close to describing what it is. You know, it's the closest approximation that humans could, you know, say as to what the color is. You know, the fact that they went with this kind of, like, purple type thing and purple and pink and everything, I think it's just jarringly odd enough that you feel like, yeah, that's that's something else. You know, that's not, uh, that's not like, just a normal color. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that, you know, because, I mean, it'd be so easy, you know, it'd be so easy just to go with, like, a, like a, like a green light or something, or like a a purple light, but it's the mixtures and everything that just make it work. I gotta say, also, I really liked the the dude um, from, like, the Forestry Service or whatever it was. The hydrologist. Oh, hydrologist. I, I liked that guy a lot, man. I really want, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted, like, him and the girl to, like, you know, run off together or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's you know, basically like the only survivor. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Nicolas Cage, I mean, you believe it, you know? He goes over the top like Nicolas Cage usually does, but it's a situation where you believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think a lot of directors, for like, when they're working with Nicolas Cage, they don't really consider, you know, you know, cause it's just like, that's like what he does, but you know, it's like, it's almost like the role was perfectly, it was perfectly cast for him to let him do his thing without it, it going cheesy, <laughs> you know? There's no where the, like, you know, like, the bees, the bees, none of that stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, they're in my eyes! They're in my eyes! Oh, God. 
That movie is a goddamn abomination, and we will not talk about it. <laughs> oh, I gotta, I gotta say something about Nicolas Cage. So, uh, a movie that I catched on TV just last week mm-hmm. that was actually fucking good. I saw it twice in theaters, but I, I forgot about it. It's Knowing. N- uh, knowing? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Never actually thought. pretty decent. Mm-hmm. It's like um, some dude who's, you know, he, he gets, like, a hole, like, of, you know, a, sh- uh, a paper with, like, a whole lot of, like, major events, like, written on it, and everything mm. just happens and shit. So, essentially, he gets that book from uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, he get, yeah, he gets the, uh, the almanac. The, the sports uh, almanac, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but with well the disaster almanac. Ah. Well, I mean, thinking about it, that's got like Lovecraftian elements in it as well. Mm. Sort of, you know, and like the idea of like uh, knowledge that you shouldn't really have. Yeah. And maybe. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's it's a Nick Cage movie, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, Will, let's go with you. It's, okay, uh, for me, this movie is literally fucking everything H.P. Lovecraft, color-wise, on celluloid. That's how I see it. I love it. I love every fucking thing about it. It's, it's amazing. I love the, it's, it's, it, it's like a fucking delusional bad trip, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, maybe maybe I took too much acid tonight, and I, I'm seeing, like, things that uh, it's in my face and shit. No, you didn't take acid. It's just the way it is. It's that little, little, little piece of heaven that dropped in your garden, and... It is what it is. It fucks everybody up, and I love it. I really do. <laughs> the color, uh, the way, the way. Again, dude, just, just the, you know, the, the, the. Well, can I say like the farmhouse, if you will? I yes. guess it's like a farmhouse. Mm-hmm. I love it. it. It feels like they are isolated, you know? And it's implied that they are isolated, but it really feels like they are, this family are the only one that experience, you know, fucked up things. And I really, I really, really appreciate that. It's not like Someone from, uh, you know, the city comes up and he experienced it too. And he's like, oh, no, they are right. They are right. It's it's fucking... No, they are trapped with this fucking shit. And the uh, fucking alpacas or whatever the fuck they are. I just love the fact that there are alpacas in this movie. I love the fact that the alpacas get credits in the end credits. That's awesome. <laughs> The old pack is too, man. The, the uh, you know uh, when when they 
go out and find out what happened to the alpacas. It's oh, yeah. so the mm. thing. It's yep. it's it's the thing, dude. I mean, yep. it's amazing. I love it. I really do. But, dude, my favorite scene was um, when, well, you know, um, the um, the mother and I can't remember her name, but the mother and the the, the kid, I think it's Jack or um, yeah, Jack is it, yeah, when they get struck by by you know the color and shit and like they mutate, like and they yeah. they they. they they literally like become one yeah and they they take him like um him or her or they 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 take m in the house and they they're like like <laughs> like on that fucking sofa and like oh i, f- I think she she's thirsty <laughs> dude <laughs> like they're just like they're like it's so fucking amazing dude what they did with that because i mean first of all i mean like like we like we said it's shot well the effects dude, the effects in, in this movie like the the props dude the <laughs> fucking a except for that little uh, fucking praying mantis shit <laughs> he's cute i want one i like him <laughs> he's cute yeah, I, want yeah, one. I thought it was pretty pretty cool but dude, like, and they don't know what to do and shit. And he's like, and Nicholas Cage character like comes up because they end up like in the um, in the fucking attic. I I guess it's the attic. And he's like, he's about to like kill her and shit. He's like, oh no, you know I love you. So nah, he's like, no, nah, I ain't even dead. I will kill you and shit. And he like, he gets like so fucking insanely fucking crazy. He's like, you're gonna go feed your fucking mother. (laughs) He locks her up. up, Like, he he actually, like, locked the whole thing up with chains and shit. And she's like, mother? It's like the fucking, like, the thing is like an abomination. It's nowhere near as what we got from you know what what they were initially yeah. when they were struck i love it so much and again dude effects are fucking on point nick cage i gotta go over nick cage nick cage is fucking crazy my favorite fucking scene was a tomato scene and the piece <laughs> Like, I, I I did everything. The book said it. He just smashes fucking tomatoes in the fucking, like, dude, I love it. It's fucking Nick Cage. Prime A fucking Nick Cage. That, and when the the, the, the car doesn't start, he's like, motherfucker. He's like, punching the roof of the car, dude. I love it. I really do. So, I mean... Dude, I mean, I could go on and on about this movie. I really do enjoy it. I really, really do enjoy it. I mean, cinematography is fucking beautiful. Uh, Again, some clumsy CG at some point, but I mean, I I can go over it. I mean, there's enough of, you know, just plain-ass fucking practical, decent effects. So, dude, I just love this movie. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, once again, I'm Debbie Downer on this one. I was kind of underwhelmed. 
God damn, Don. From everything that I had heard from everybody else in the community, I had expected this to be a slam dunk, no contest, top ten of the year. It is. Uh, I can bear, I can think of at least thirty films right now I like more than this one. Oh. Yeah. Um. Uh, first of all. I'll, I'll give this credit. Uh, the practical effects of this are probably as great as I've ever seen. And I, I do enjoy, you know, it, the craftsmanship involved in this. You know, you guys have said it already. The cinematography, the shots, the scenes of, you know, the things spreading, what's spreading around the ha- the area, the house, and all of the different we- things that are happening. But... Mm. <sighs> For me, the story to this thing just falls apart. Okay, your wife and son have been fused together into one being. Get to the fucking authorities. Why are you staying in that house? That is not normal. That is not They can normal. they don't have like a No. They don't have you don't you don't do anything. You get to the fucking authorities. They spend half an hour debating what to do with her before they even decide to do anything. They take her into the house and they try to feed her. No, yeah. you get to the authorities. You got to cut them a little bit of slack, on though, just because don't forget the entire family's been drinking that water for Lord knows how long. I mean, it's already taken hold of them. So logic kind of yeah, goes I, out the window. I get that, but the thing is, is that everything that we've seen around there so far, we've already seen all of the weird lights, you know, mm-hmm. we've already seen all of the strange animals and mutations and all that. We've already had them blow up at the daughter and the son and the daughter because they left the alpacas out. Mm-hmm. We've already got more than enough evidence that something is going on around here. Now your wife and son are fused together. I don't care what drugs you're under. They are fused together into a single being. Alert the authorities. Call someone. You know, send up a smoke signal or something. I mean... I mean, I'm pretty sure they did, though, didn't they? Didn't they try the phones and they were dead? Yeah, no, no, no connection whatsoever. whatsoever. Also, too, too, I was just going to say real quick um, that, you know... They've already had an experience with the media, the media shutting them down, making basically fun of them because, you know, they don't even take the explanation that it was a meteorite. They think he saw a UFO, and so they, they're basically being laughed at. Yeah, but that's still, okay, you, dre- you, shove them, you, you bring them back to the farm and say, okay, deal with this. Like, okay, you, know, how, you know, how do you explain I, I what's going what, on? Is this a UFO? What's going on here? I get what you're saying, dude. I get what you're, what you're saying. Like, okay, why didn't they call the cops? Why didn't they? Because the phones didn't work. You know, uh, yeah, the phones didn't work. The, the, the car, the car, the car, the, the car is dead too, right? Yeah, yeah but the, the thing is, is that you well, okay, well, you, just, just, just fucking ride the fucking horse. Yeah, but that's yeah. like what ten minutes before the movie's over. Yeah, and don't forget that they they said the nearest hospital is an hour away. So on a horseback, that's like three or four hours. Yeah, okay. And like I said, the the phones have been dead since the media. When the meteorite landed, that took out the phones. Even though the phones rang and they got those garbled messages back and forth, the phones stopped basically working when the meteorite landed. 
So as far as calling out to anyone, that's just not going to happen. Um, and then, like I said, the fact that the car was working up until they got back from the hospital, maybe that's a little bit more, you know, might maybe need a little bit more explaining. Like, you know, did, did the meteor have an EMP attached to it or something like that? Um, I, I will admit there are some minor, minor holes. I just don't think they're as big as Don thinks they are. I feel like the film explained plenty as far as why well, the family... Not that I, with the, it's not that I, I really make them out to be much bigger. It's just, it's accumulation effects. Like, for me, it's not just that, you know, I think the story is really weak. To me, the pacing to this is really unbearable. This is not an hour and 50 minute movie. Wow. I, for me... It's God just, damn, dude. <laughs> it's just okay you guys were saying about this earlier I could not stand Nick Cage for one second in this that accent that he put on was the most ingrating thing I've heard all the entire day yeah but, but it's it, fucking Nick Cage dude I don't give two flying fucks who it is if it's Vincent Price I'm gonna knock him that accent was fucking atrocious it actually isn't bad I mean I don't know if you've ever been to Rhode Island but it's actually pretty close well I, I'm from Connecticut which is right next to Rhode Island so even though I don't have that kind of accent, but like um, Rhode Island's very close to Boston too, so that accent sometimes kind of rears his ugly head. But yeah, Rhode Island, um, it, it's we got that weird New England thing where depending on what state you're in, your accent changes drastically. Like you know, you guys remember, um, you know, um, Judd from Pet Cemetery. That was a solid Maine accent. Whereas this one, he, you know, they're in Pro they're near Providence, so they're in Rhode Island, so they're trying to uh, kind of go for that accent. I, I, it's not perfect, I will admit, but it's actually not bad if you know the Rhode Island accent. Mm. I, I don't know. Just for me, it just felt it just felt grating, and I don't know what the hell he was doing. I, 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 I but anyway, I mean, it's Nick Cage. I mean, we never know what the hell he's doing. I mean, yeah, but he's good in. <laughs> But I'm saying he's good in Drive Angry. He's good in um, what's that other one? Um, oh shit! What's that one that he was in? Uh, he's in like 300 movies. No, um, it's right around from that time period. It's um, that medieval one that he was in. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I, I forgot in that name. one. Uh, yeah, I know. I did too. Oh fuck. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, Season of the Witch? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, that sucks. Okay, that may suck, but he's good in it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. The movie sucks, but he's good in that one. And, and you know, again, Drive Angry. I didn't mind him in the Ghost in the Ghost Rider films, now that I think about it. Bad Lieutenant's Call of New Orleans was pretty good, though. It wasn't bad. Yeah. yeah. Tolerable, but... Yeah, he's not bad, and uh, just, I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, again, I didn't like him, I didn't like the pacing, I felt everything was just way too laid back for, you know, like, the seriousness and the urgency of what was going on, I didn't like all the storyline holes that were propped up, I mean, you know, a lot of it was just conveniently wiped away just to make the story free. Now, again, I will admit I like a lot of the special effects I do like a lot you know the, the last hack where you know everything's going wrong and they're 
acting crazy and killing each other. That's fun. I do enjoy that part of it. And, you know, all of the technical merits, you know, the the film looks beautiful. I do like, you know, the color that they use to that purplish pink tone that they use is great. I think it really adds a great atmosphere to it, but eh, it just, it left me wanting and, and solid film. I'll agree. It's got its moments, but I'd expected a top 10 and it's, I'm probably going to put this, you know, where it's it is now. It's a fucking top ten, my dude. That's not on my list. I'm thinking I've got at least 20 or 30 films above it. It's, just currently, it's currently my number three of 2020. I, I've got For whatever it, that's worth. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I can think of at least 20 or 30 without even really trying hard. So. My number six, my dude. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I've still got a bunch of shit to get to. I mean, I've still got a date planned later this month where I'm going to do VHF, VHF um, Visible Man, and Hansel and Gretel. That's going to be one of my dates for later this year. So, mm. but um, yeah. Anybody have anything else they want to bring up or? Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I definitely got to bring up this soundtrack. Um, this is the this soundtrack's done by Colin Stetson, who is the man who brought us the Hereditary soundtrack two years earlier. By the way, the Hereditary soundtrack is probably my favorite soundtrack of the last ten years. This one, not quite on the level of Hereditary, but still a great soundtrack. Definitely one I'll pick up on vinyl as soon as I find it. Waxworks. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, Waxwork, it's like colored vinyl, right? Well, it should be, shit. Yeah, it's it's the color. Let's just say that. (laughs) The only thing, and I mean literally, the only thing that grated on me a little bit was the actual titular line of the movie. When Ward actually says the color out of space at the end of the movie, it just kind of takes me out of it. Like, really? Did I need that? It's a stretch. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll forgive it, but it is a kind of a cringy thing. At least they didn't end the movie with the titular line. That would have upset me even more. <laughs> <laughs> so there is oh. one thing I do want to ask. Um, I, I think you're probably going to bring this up, Rob. How close is this actually to the original story? It, I mean, it's not as close as Call of Cthulhu, of course, but, I mean, in essence, much much of the story is there. There are certain things that we really don't know about. Like, you don't get into the intimate details of the family dynamics in the actual short story, where they created a nice set of dynamics to at least give us a reason to care for this family. Because a lot of what's talked about the the Gardner family and the short story is seen from afar. And it's told, you know, by the narrator... And so you don't get it, it's not as intimate. And so they they I thought they did a nice job at filling in some some things to you know to create a nice story arc where you know the short story would have left sort of you know wanting if that's what you were looking for. But yeah. the doom I, I thought you know the level of um, cosmic uh, dread that falls on this family. I, I thought I don't know if anyone caught it or not, but I thought the greatest little piece of foreshadowment in the entire movie was 
in uh, in the boys uh, in Benny's room over his computer that he spends a lot of time, you know, with the uh, astrology and um, astronomy. Uh, it says right on his wall, "No flesh will be spared." Oh, nice. And, and if that's not the tag for this movie, because I think, you know, it's not just the cosmic uh, the cosmic uh, dread that they're about to be en- enveloped into. There's almost a nightmare logic quality that there is no escaping once this meteor hits. This family is doomed. And the only flesh that is spared, uh, you know, is, is the narrator, is Ward Phillips. Uh, who is allowed to, you know, live through this thing. But the family itself, you know, must perish. And it's stated, you know, you know, right there from, uh, you know, from the beginning that uh, don't expect anyone in the family to make it because they're not going to make it. I thought that was pretty, uh, that was pretty subtly brilliant of him to kind of lay that. And it almost seems like, isn't that a catchphrase or whatever from hardware? Just seems like maybe... That's it when it came to hardware. Um, I think it might be. Um, but um, the other thing I, I wanted to say too, not, and I really do hope Ward. I love. I really like Ward Phillips's uh, character, and I really hope that if the rest of the trilogy gets fleshed out the way he wants it to, I would love to see Ward Phillips come back and reprise his role as a continuing narrator for us in the other two films. I think that would be kind of neat in a way to bridge the three films. Uh, together as a trilogy, but uh, I also do. I, I was thinking about Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro and how close we came uh, some years ago to seeing him be able to get his dream project at the Mountains of Madness when we were so close with. Uh, I think he had James. Uh, oh, what's his? Uh, the heck's his name? The big producer, Alien, Aliens. Um, James. Cameron. Cameron, yeah. He was on to produce. They had, uh, I don't know how well this would have worked in the end, but they had um, Tom Cruise to be a, or the narrator of the film. But they had so many things lined up, and I thought, man, Del Toro, I thought was going to give us the big studio launching pad to a world of Lovecraft, but in fact, it's, I think it's Richard Stanley. If he gets an opportunity to continue to do what he wants, choose so much of this movie that I, I, I found appreciated just being a Lovecraft fan. I mean, it's one thing to do Call of Cthulhu and just lay it out perfectly like that, the way they did it, but it's quite another to translate it in a way that may not be perfect to the written page, but man, it captures the essence of it almost perfectly. And I think uh, Lovecraft fans, I, I haven't really heard of any Lovecraft fans re, you know, reject this movie. I don't know if you guys have. Uh, nope, I haven't heard anything of that. Uh, no, I mean that's like I said, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to get to it was because I heard nothing but praise for it. Like I said, you know, I'd expected an easy top ten based on everything I'd heard about it. So, mm. um, yeah, I, uh, I, I agree completely. This this thing is amazing, and and Guillermo del Toro. Speaking of Guillermo, is my favorite director of all time. I was very excited uh, when it, the talk of At the Mountains of Madness was coming up because that is my favorite Lovecraft uh, story ultimately. But I am actually very happy with what we did get in 2017 with the Void. So even though Guillermo's would have been grander, I I love the tone of the Void. So I I will take it. For now. <laughs> yeah. 
The Void. That's one film I have yet to see, though. That's uh, I think. I mean, man, you you have to see The Void. I I know the movie wasn't ultra popular when it first came out because a lot of people looked at it as a ripoff of a lot of other movies, but it's absolutely not. If you know anything about those two directors, a ripoff um, of what though? Of, of, of anything Lovecraftian, The Thing, Hellraiser, um, just a- any of the 80s Lovecraftian type movies, because there's scenes in the movie that are homages to a lot of those types of movies, um, even in the Mouth of Madness, stuff like that. So it, it's not the most original movie, ultimately. There's, you know, th- there's nothing really too original about it, but I absolutely love its practical effects. I absolutely but is it just influences? Is it rip-off yeah, or love letters? No, it's, it's a love letter, my friend. It's an homage. It's absolutely not a rip-off. Less educated horror fans were accusing it of being rip-offs, but it's absolutely yeah, no, it's it's an original story. Just it takes from just about every major Lovecraftian influence film in the in the yeah. genre puts it together. So yeah, it's not necessarily something that he written he wrote, but it's yeah. very much something he would have wrote. Well, it's loosely based on At the Mountains of Madness. It's it's a very loose adaptation, but if you if you're familiar with the book, then yeah, The Void is very familiar. Yeah, and I, it, like I said, that's one of the ones I haven't read. Mm-hmm. Um, the only ones I've read are um, Rats in the Walls, The Outsider, and uh, Shadow Over In's Mouth. Nice. Okay. Yeah, those are the only those are the only ones that I've officially read. Almost everything else I have a general idea of, but like I said, Call of Cthulhu is the only one that I don't actually know much about, and I'm pretty sure there's much there's like dozens of others. Well, the Cthulhu like, mythos, yeah, is gigantic. Well, no, I'm just talking about, like, his work in general. Like, yeah, I'm if, sure, if like, you're talking about specifically his work, yeah, there's not as yeah. much Cthulhu as we'd like. But, I mean, because of the historical society, because Lovecraft was very open to people writing stories within his universe. It's a I fucking mean, universe, dude. I mean, we're still getting new Cthulhu stories today. I mean, I bought a book earlier this year called The Return of the Old God. That's a compilation did y'all, uh, did y'all cop, uh, you know, th- those mangas that came out, like H.P. Lovecraft mangas? Uh, never an official manga, no, but I- I've got multiple. No, it's official mangas, like, uh, like solid, like, kind of robbery cover and shit. It's like manga adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft stories. No, I've got Yeah, a it just came across them, like, I think books? a week ago or some shit. Oh, oh, that's oh. recent. Then yeah, I definitely don't know anything about it. Oh, yeah, um, there's yeah, it's super recent. I think it came out like three or four months ago. Other stories. Okay. I'll check it out. Yeah, damn cool. But yeah, that's apparently it's but... fucking good shit. And I mean, fourteen bucks Canadian. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can have it for like nine bucks American. So. Not bad. Hey, I I, I got something little. Mm-hmm. How about props to Elijah Wood and uh, that SpectreVision company that actually went out of their way to bring Richard Stanley into their company to make this film? Yeah. Elijah Wood, dude, he's becoming like a big name in the horror genre. Well, yeah. he's always well, definitely been. more more as a producer, definitely, than a uh, actor, but yeah. 
Well, I'm saying he always kind of was. I mean, you know, even actor, even actor wise too. Dude. I mean, he's yeah, co- 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 but I'm saying like lately he's really, yeah. shit, dude. he's I really mean. championed the horror genre over the last like five to ten years, as far as uh, from behind the camera too is mostly what I'm talking about. So yeah, um, to you know, to Rob's point, it's 100 percent valid. We basically have Elijah Wood to thank for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree, dude. And I mean, dude is fucking cool too. I mean, he could be like super snob, you know. I know my horror, and you don't. And he's like the kind <laughs> of dude that will go like, like we 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 do. He will go out to you know convention and shit just to meet some horror people, dude. I love the dude. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, All man. right. Um... Any last uh, last call for thoughts on uh, Colorado Space? Ah, oh, man. Fucking A, Lovecraft. Dude, love it. Alright, so uh, let's go around and uh, rate this one. Let's uh, start with you, Rob. It is a perfect 10 out of a 10. 10 out of 10 rewatchability. And yes, you ought to own it because I own it. Everyone who loves Lovecraft and loves a great translation of Lovecraft um, due to Richard Stanley's own version, uh, vision. Uh, this movie is absolutely out of the bunch. We Phenomenal. It is, my favorite. it is my favorite out of the whole group we, we talked about tonight. Easy. Oh, I is it really? Is, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the best. Absolutely. And uh, I just hope, I really do hope he's allowed to uh, move forward and uh, with the Dunwich Horror, I think it's supposed to be next. Yep. It'd be great. It'd be great. Uh, all right. Uh, Will, let's go with you. 10, 10, bye. There you go. <laughs> Venom? Uh, I got to echo the same thing. 10 out of 10 for the movie. As I said earlier, I you know, Call of Cthulhu also got a 10, but I gave it a 10 for a completely different reason. This 10 for Colorado Space is more, it's really mostly about Richard Stanley's vision, what he was able to take from the written page and put on uh, camera, but still put his own flair on it. He put a modern spin on everything. It just, I can't say enough great things about this movie. Um, like I said, 10 out of 10 for the movie, uh, 10 out of 10 for rewatchability. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go 9.5 on rewatchability because this movie is almost two hours and it's not necessarily something that you can just pop in and watch in the background, like say an 80s slasher or something like that. This is a movie that deserves your attention. This is a movie that I'll never pop in as background noise. When I pop this movie in, it gets 100% of my attention. So for that, which is a pretty thin excuse, but I'm still going to go with it. So 9.5 out of 10 for rewatchability. And if you have 4K capabilities at home, you got a TV, you've got the 4K player, you have to own this 4K. It is absolutely stunning. Um, Next to The Matrix, this is my favorite 4K Blu-ray. I I can't get enough of watching this. Um, And, you know, 60 frames HDR, it looks absolutely gorgeous. So like I said, if you have the capabilities, spend the extra few bucks, get the 4K. This is a must-buy. All right, Glenn. Uh, ten, ten, bye. 
All right, so I will end it with eight, eight, and still buy because I I do think that it's enjoyable enough and it's still worthwhile. But uh, yeah, um, I'm gonna say eight, eight, and buy. Mm-hmm. Rob, we just did mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're all tens, yeah. buddy. Other than oh, yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we close this out, um, this is just uh, something fun. Name an underrated Lovecraft adaptation that you enjoy, other than the ones we covered. Okay. Just underrated. No, not for review, not for anything special, just an underrated Lovecraft adaptation you enjoy. An adaptation or a Lovecraftian movie? Either or, I'm not picky. Okay. Whisper in darkness. That's good. Okay, let, let me... Let me... So, uh, for me, I'm going to say Castle Freak. Ooh, oh, damn, nice. you took mine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wanted That's to go first. Right. I thought nobody else, would, nobody else would have seen it. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, for me, Castle Freak. I got a second. Uh, I, I, I saw guess... Castle Freak, but no, I don't think so. I don't think it's my... Oof, that's kind of hard, though. Doesn't have to be a favorite. Well, I just said it, an, an underrated one. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to pull it. Uh, Glenn, Rob, anyone else? I'll throw another one. Uh, Lurking fear. Hmm. Nice, Rob. Yeah. Um. I don't know if it's underrated or not, but I really, really do love. Dagon, um, especially the uh, Vestron release of it. I thought, uh, you know, there's a nice little documentary, or not documentary, interview with uh, S.T. Joshi on there that's really, uh, and that's probably as close to an official biographer of um, Lovecraft you're going to get. He's on there, which is cool, and uh, a lot of, it's just the whole package of it, but uh, I really do like that. Um, Taking two stories and sort of melding them uh, together, and uh, I thought, that might be, for me, Stuart Gordon's best. All right. So, uh, Ron, um, Will, found something? Uh, I would say, I don't know if it, you really count it as, like, an H.P. Lovecraft story, but the unnameable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, story. Yeah. Yeah. that's good, yeah. Um, I'll count it. I mean, it was billed as an H.P. Lovecraft one when it was released, so works for me. Was it yep. 90, yep. 1986? 1998? Uh, I think. 80, it was 87 or 88. So really, when you think about it, they, there were a few years there where there was like a Lovecraft yeah, movie every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was uh, Reanimator, then uh, From Beyond, The Curse, then Unnameable. What was... <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was like... There was one from fucking um, mid-2000... Uh, no, not mid-2000. Maybe 2009, 2010 or something. It's like... It's called the, the Whisper or something. Whisper in Darkness. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while, though. But yeah. I remember, like, H.P. Lovecraft was, like, credited or some shit. Yeah. Um, Whisper in Darkness was uh, another... <laughs> Um, that was another. I think it was like historical DVD, right? No, that was well, another um, historical society one, wasn't it? Yeah, the one that he's thinking of. Um, if it's Whisper in Darkness, then yeah. 
like 2009 or 10, like something like that. Yeah, um, I know that there's a couple there's a couple adaptations of that, but if you're thinking from like 2009, 2010, I think it's by the same the same society that did uh, Call of Cthulhu. It, uh, that one is. Let me just see if it's the right year. Because I'm saying I know that there was a couple adaptations. There's been like uh, 2011. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't too far. Yeah, yeah I'll call it. Black knowing and white will, kicks yeah, ass. Knowing will, I'll, yeah, knowing will, I'll call that. <laughs> so, uh... I, I got something little, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, just the, uh, you know, outside of what we're talking here, kind of, I man, I'm telling you, I think Lucio Fulci uh, had come really close to tapping into understanding the Lovecraft, the nature of Lovecraft, and his written word but he, you know, translated much differently, I think, mostly in his Gates of Hell trilogy. Mm-hmm. But like in City of the Living Dead, you find uh, the influence of the evil clergyman by Lovecraft. Um, Absolutely, as main, dude. That's the main antagonist in that film. And uh, so outside the world of what we're really talking about, I, I always thought, you know, Love, Fulci Big really understood. Lovecraft, and few people really do get it. But Stuart Gordon gets it from sort of a weird point of view, I guess. I'm, you know, but I always appreciated Fulci, boy. What but dude, we tapped into it like when we did the Gates of Hell trilogy review. We we talked like a bunch of Lovecraft, love Lovecraft shit too. I mean, this show yeah. was like what four hours long, or uh, the Gates of Hell? Yeah, that was about four hours long. <laughs> but yeah, definitely agree with you. Like, oh, uh, and another thing too, I, we didn't really talk about it. I'm not meant to talk long about it, but I was reminded today uh, how many Metallica songs are tapped right into Lovecraft. Cthulhu. Yep. I mean, was it Call of Cthulhu? Uh, yep. uh, the, the thing. The that thing should that should not be. be. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then after uh, Death Magnetic, uh, uh, All Nightmare Long. Hmm. Um, and then on their hardwired, I think uh, there's one on there. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but there's one on there too that's uh, tapped into uh, Cthulhu, I think, for the nature of. Dream um, no more. Yes, dream no more. Yes, I, yeah. Um, it's just <laughs> amazing to see how much for a man who got no credit when he was alive, and yeah. how much he has saturated our culture. It's just amazing. Yep. It really is. <laughs> All right, folks. So I guess uh, that concludes this episode. So um, parting words, everyone. Watch more. Uh, well, well, again, let, let the, the guest do their things. Venom, so where can you, f- where can we find you? Where can we get more of that symbiote? <laughs> <laughs> All right. My main show is, of course, No More Room in Hell, which has recently made the move to the Dark Discussions podcast network, along with a lot of the old horophilia shows. Um, like us. <laughs> exactly. Um <laughs> Uh, we just put out an episode recently. It is our second werewolf special where we looked at 2013's Where and 1996's Bad Moon. We were once again able to get Brian and Jamie Flammons. Gotta say, Bad Moon is fucking great. Not enough yes. people talk about it. Great movie, terrible transformation. 
<laughs> I don't agree, dude. Oh, God, that mm. CG, that awful CG transformation. Oh, dude, oh. it's a product of its time, dude. It's not dude, a big-ass fucking budget thing. It, it looked bad in 96. <laughs> That's not a Yeah, it looked bad time. in 96, but I was a small-ass motherfucking baby, so I don't know what it was <laughs> to be around in fucking 96, so I can, I can enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, I love the movie, don't get me wrong. I love Bad Moon. I Literally, the only thing I don't like is that transformation. Literally, one of the worst werewolf transformations I think I've ever seen. But Wolf that, is better anyway. Yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, let's see. So, um, that's No More Room in Hell on the sister podcast, Fresh Cuts, which is our weekly podcast where we only look at the newest of the new movies. And recently, uh, you know, Mr. Don and Ellie has joined us for a bunch of episodes, so... Um, you can hear him on that a lot of times, too. Uh, what did we do last week? Uh, we did Spiral last week, and then this week we're doing Vampires versus the Bronx, something like that. Uh, uh, I, I, and a really bad time to bring this up. Um, I, he wanted to change it from the binding because it, right, that's what he I said. said it was, yeah, um, I don't know if it's official or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he, he was waiting me. on you to confirm it. Right, right. Well, this is me yeah. confirming it. Okay, so it's Vampires. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. So it'll be Vampires versus the Bronx. Uh, that'll be recording tomorrow to be released, hopefully Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, is it uh, like the Netflix film that just dropped? Uh, is it Netflix or Shutter? It, it's Netflix. one of those. Yeah. Netflix. Is it Netflix? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a horror comedy. I don't watch trailers, so I don't really know anything about my movies before I watch them. I, I like it that way better. Yeah, all I know is that it was one of the films Lloyd mentioned as being released for Halloween, so... Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, I watched it, like, last night, dude. I'll let you... I'm gonna let you be uh, the judge. There you go. All right, and then, unfortunately, two of my podcasts are on slightly extended hiatuses. That would be In the Mic of Madness, which is on hiatus for Rebecca Reinhardt to do all her independent horror projects that she's uh, taking part in. So hopefully she'll be back before Halloween so we can at least uh, finish up our Frank Henenlotter retrospective that we're uh, right at the end of right now. We just have the Basket Case movies left to talk about. Ooh, good shit. And then a show, another show that Don and myself are on, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, is also on an extended hiatus. Uh, no real idea when we're going to be back with that one, but fingers crossed it'll be sooner than later. And then the last thing for me is the movie commentary podcast that I do with the NFW and Friday Nightmares guys, and that is It's Not Horror, Okay?, uh, as you can tell by the title, we do movie commentaries for films that are not horror. So on the last episode, we took a look at Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And on the next episode, we're going to be looking at 1981's Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone and Rutger Hauer. And um, I've got some guest spots lined up coming up on 22 Shots, um, the Two Drink Minimum podcast, um, Cut to the chase, I think, if I remember correctly. So hopefully for October, I've also got a bunch of guest spots. So, you know, just check out the Dark Discussions Podcast Network and you'll see everything <laughs> just, that I do on there. <laughs> we just did a show with fucking Cut to the Chase, my dude, and it was so fucking hilarious. Like, oh, yeah. so fucking random, dude. Like, You know you're going to have a good time with Dan and Lacey. 
Oh, dude, like, so fucking random. Like, <laughs> it was, like, maybe, like, what, midnight, and I was like, oh, you want you want to chat for a while and shit? And they were like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, my dude, let's do this. And, like, we but ended like, up, like, saying, yeah, like, uh, sa- saying, <laughs> yeah, saying, like, the uh, Smallville theme. That's how the episode, like, ended, like, somebody save me. That's how we ended, like, me and Dan singing fucking somebody save me. <laughs> <laughs> love, love, love Cut to the Chase. Shout out nice. to Cut to the Chase. And that's it for me, Don. Alright, uh, Rob, anywhere else we can hear you? Oh, this will be quick. Body bags. Uh, care to expand on that? Like, where? Um, why, uh, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. <laughs> Alright, so... Uh, I guess that uh, officially wraps up this uh, special for tonight. So thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Peace. Adios. See ya.